1: The Carl Nelson Show.
2: grand rising wake up squad and thanks for checking in with us this morning later Chematologist. Tony Browder will be back in our classroom. Brother Tony will outline the screening of the Dr. Renoko Rashidi documentary. Now The film also honors the African scholars who influenced Renoko. Brother Tony will explain why ancestral intelligence is the most important AI for people of African descent. Before Brother Tony, Brother Isaiah Mohammed for the Nation of Islam will discuss this Sunday's Saving the Black Family program in Baltimore. Before Brother Isaiah though, Siddiqui Kambone will preview this weekend's Nubian Leadership Summit, but to get us started, brother Kojo Yanka from the Pan African Heritage Museum is here. Akwaba, brother Kojo.
3: Hey, Medasi, want oh, to say
2: Thank you for joining us this oh, morning. Go ahead. Yes,
3: yeah, I said oh, to means how are you in oh,
2: Tui? Yeah. In Tui, yeah, <laughs> that's the language.
3: I said, I said, want oh, to saying, how are you?
2: Yeah, well, unfortunately, my, my tweet is limited to Akwaba. As Many times I've been to Ghana and, and got relatives who live in Ghana. It's, it's just, and they're all listening now as well. I might as well tell you that. we got, we got a few listeners. There were some expats and, and some Ghanaians listening to us every morning. we got some mm-hmm. Ghanaians who live in the U.K. who listen as well. So I just want to let you know that. Wonderful. we got a wide audience here. But you founded the Pan-African Heritage Museum. Can you tell us why and what is it?
3: yes i think that it is time for the world to have a museum which will bridge the gap between africans on the continent and africans in the diaspora there has been so much miseducation both on the continent and also in the diaspora about each other we do not know ourselves much our history has been has been you know butchered Uh, We do not know where we are. We do not know where we came from. We do not know the relationship that binds us together. We lost our names. We lost our culture. We lost our heritage when we were crossing the Atlantic. And now we have the opportunity to come back to the continent. And people on the continent also have to know more about the people behind whom we close that door, the door we call the door of no return, we should open it wide uh, through knowledge, through symbols, through travels, through all the knowledge that has been missing uh, in our lives. There's there are new discoveries. From I heard you talk about Dr. Tony Browder and uh, Runoko who have discovered so much uh, about ourselves, the beginning of civilization, the beginning of, you know, humanity. which belongs to us that we have not claimed. We need to put all that in a museum that is going to now tell us our story. We should tell our own story, bridge the gap, raise our level of self-confidence, and make a contribution to humanity throughout the world.
2: So this museum that you set up, is it for Africans in the diaspora? Is it for Ghanaians or Africans uh, throughout the continent? What is it for? Where did you establish it
3: for? It's, it's for everywhere. We want to curate the history of all Blacks everywhere. So we have chapters in Latin America, in the USA, in the Caribbean, in India, in Paraguay, who are giving us, were giving us the um, digital versions of arts, the culture, the history, the um, achievements of our people throughout the world. And we are going to put all this in the museum that we are building. We already have a digital version of the museum on our website uh, running now.
2: Oh, wow. So we can uh, see it? We can uh, go there uh, virtually, you're saying? We can see the artifacts?
3: We can go there virtually. Yeah, pahmuseum.org. Okay. pahmuseum.org. And... um, it's running, and uh, we are making wild preparations to do the construction of the physical museum as I'm speaking.
2: All right, it's uh, six after the top of the hour, uh, uh, Brother Kojo, Where are in Ghana? Are you in Accra or on the Cape Coast, or where in Ghana are you?
3: Yes, uh, the the museum is being is being built. Those of you who know Ghana, in the uh, region where we have Elmina and Cape Coast. But this is around Winneba Junction. This is on the Accra Cape Coast Road, 45 kilometers from outside the capital. And we are located on a hill where construction is taking place. And so uh, it's part of the tourist uh, route to Cape Coast and Elmina.
2: Yeah, I'm going to ask you this, though, because I've been to like 13 different african states many of them several times but in Mm -hmm. ghana i felt the most at home in ghana and i feel african americans feel the same way like i mentioned i got some relatives Mm -hmm. moved to ghana they we feel Mm -hmm. We feel like you, you, we, you guys are like blood kin. You know what I'm saying? We just, just mm-hmm, we, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the the connection is I can't explain, but we're just like long lost yeah. cousins, that, yeah. Uh, yeah. and we're accepted in, in Ghana. I never felt that way mm-hmm. in in Namibia, in the, uh, South Africa, or Egypt, all these other African countries that I've been to. Except Ghana, can you explain that that mm-hmm. connection?
3: I think there's a spiritual link that we have probably not exploited but you know at the time of our independence 6th of March 1957 when Kwame Nkrumah declared independence and said that our independence is not complete if the rest of black Africa if the rest of the black world is not liberated At that time of 6th March, present at the ceremony was Martin Luther King. Most people do not know this. And uh, he left Ghana to go and give a powerful um, sermon uh, in Selma, Alabama, at at the Baptist Church. Now, what I'm saying is that we have had that spiritual link long ago. And Kwame Nkrumah, you know, at at that time, Kwame Nkrumah invited Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King also spread the word at that time that here are people who have gained their independence through nonviolence. Now, I'm calling on all Blacks with any professions and any skills to go to Africa to help Kwame Nkrumah to develop the country and the continent. So we, we got that message quite clearly. W.B. Du Bois came to Ghana, started the Africana Encyclopedia. Uh, J. Padmore came down. So we got a feel of the presence of people of African descent rise from independence in 1957. And this is more than Pan-Africanism. So most of us went to school with that knowledge. And so we opened our doors. Ghana was open so much to not just people of Af- not just people from outside the continent, but even Africans. We didn't know the difference between us and our Nigerian brothers. Our Liberian brothers, Sierra Leonean brothers, as they gained independence and came to Ghana. A number of people from southern Africa came to school in Ghana. I, when I was director of the Ghana Institute of Journalism, taught a number of journalists from west coast, southern coast. So Ghana was the kind of the home uh, of liberation. So we opened our doors very early. To people of African descent and they felt very much like where they came from yes there are it's not all the people who were taken out of Africa who came from Ghana but I'm, I can bet that we took the leadership and uh, our leaders took the lead in opening the door very wide for people of African descent to feel at home and Ghanaians are very hospitable by nature. I, I, I think all Africans are, but we probably are more hospitable because we've been our neighbors from Nigeria, South Africa, come to Ghana and say, hey, you Ghanaians are so nice. Yeah, we, it's a gift from God. We love it. And uh, we want to share with uh, humanity.
2: You know, it's like twelve after the top yeah You you were in the Rawlings administration, Flight Lieutenant Jerry uh, Rawlings, and he was, I think, one of the ones that I can remember recalling. I guess in my generation that opened the doors to, uh, for Ghana. What was what was he like?
3: Rawlings was a Pan-Africanist. He was the one who really wanted to continue uh, some of the. Achievements of Kwame Nkrumah, when he visited the U.S., he was very popular in, in, you know, in the communities he visited. He was popular in every part of Africa because he was a dynamic leader who, as soon as he came to power, renovated the WB Du Bois Center in Accra and made it, you know, that was the um, Museum of African Culture Uh, to bring back the memories of W. B. Du Bois and all those who came early. He also approved for the celebration of the festival, the Pan-African Historical Festival of Theater and Arts. And the door opened. We also, incidentally, I happened to be the chairman of the Pan-African Historical Theater Festival. We opened the door of no return. We brought back the remains of some ancestors from New York and Jamaica. So, Rollins encouraged this kind of vibration. He visited the Caribbean, was guest of honor in Trinidad, Tobago, Jamaica, Barbados, and he brought a lot of life. Yes, uh, he 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 could have done more, but of course. When we went into a multi-party democracy and he reigned for two terms, his term was up and he had to leave. But he left behind a legacy that some of us are carrying on.
2: All right. We come up on a break. Before that, though, Kojo, is that Friday or Monday, boy? what's your day name? What day is that? It's Monday Monday.
3: Monday. Monday born.
2: All right, yeah, because I, yeah. I had went through the name changing ceremony. My African name <laughs> or my Akan name is Kwasi. <laughs> so, oh, so Sunday
3: born. Sunday
2: born, that's right. And, and folks, you could trace right. your, your your day name, Akan uh, name, just figure out, because all the days are, are there. That's why you hear a Kojo, he says he's Monday. And Ko, I think Kofi's Friday. You correct me if I'm wrong on that uh Friday. Uh, oh, yes. All right. <laughs> right. Uh, well, yeah. well, brother Kojio, hang on a sec. We got to take a short break here. We got, uh, we've got some announcements to make, and we'll come back in about four minutes. It's 14 minutes after the top the hour. Brother Kojo Yanka, remember that name? He's calling us from Ghana. He's the founder of the Pan African Heritage Museum in Ghana. If you get a chance to Ghana, please stop by there. We're going to need your help also. We're going to talk about what's going to take place around Independence Day next month. 800 450 7876 to speak to Brother Kojo. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L where information is power. And hey, good morning, family. I guest is uh, Kojo Yanko. Brother Kojo is calling us from Ghana. He's the founder of the Pan-African Heritage Museum. And um, Brother Kojo got a couple of thumbs up from some of our listeners out there in Accra and in the Volta region listening to us this morning so, uh, when they heard that you were on. So they just, you know, give a thumbs up on, on the Internet. But you, you're having an event, the Africa Heritage Night, around the, uh, uh, Ghana's independence. Can you tell us about that?
3: Yes, on 6th of March, which is um, our Independence Day, uh, we're having a big um, gala fundraising dinner uh, at which our, our patrons, led by our own president, President Ado, are all appear. We have patrons uh, like the press, former president of Botswana, Is coming, Dr. Chambers is coming. We have um, coming from Nigeria, some of the kings, the King Oni of Ife, we have the King of Ashanti, we have the King of the Bronge regional, sorry, Central Region House of Chiefs, who is also a member of our Council of Elders or patrons. We have uh, others coming from South Africa. We have Lady Shaka Shaka Yvonne to come and sing and perform. We have DG Fuse, so DG also performing, or Chami Kwame is also performing. We are expecting corporate Ghana and all the embassies, and we are getting so much response from all the embassies who are attending to contribute to. A fund. We have a fifty million US dollar fund that we are, you know, targeting to complete the museum in two years. So it's a big event at the Grand Kempinski Hotel, and um, we are expecting a full house uh, and for people to come and make their contributions towards the museum. So
2: it's right, a and great I see that you you have Professor Small. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hillary Beckles and Ambassador yes. are also part of the contingent. They're going to be there because they're, they're regular guests here as well.
3: Correct. right they, they are. Oh, I'm happy to hear that they are guests there because they are all patrons and members of the Council of Elders of the museum, and we are expecting them in Accra.
2: All right, let me ask you this though, uh, Brother Kojo, for folks who, who can't make it but want to help, is there, is there any way we can donate t- to the museum?
3: Yes, absolutely. You go to our, our website, pahmuseum.org, and there's a button for donation towards the museum. And in fact, we're also using the opportunity to register as many members as possible. We know we have a number of admirers in the U.S. who have wanted to contribute to this, and our website uh, is open for that. So uh, if you have access to our website, www.pahmuseum.org, that is the place to make a contribution. We shall be forever grateful because this is a project for generations to come we we want to believe that we all have something to learn we need to educate ourselves and people like you who have visited Ghana if we had the museum we would probably spend a whole day um, visiting because we are not having only galleries uh, of art culture and and, and pictures of the African and Uh, Pan-African world, on the site of the museum complex, we have a two-acre space we are creating to curate African and Pan-African heroes and heroines. You know, we have a lot of heroes, people who have invented, who have done so much in history, uh, both on the continent and outside, who are not known. And so we are asking our chapters in those countries. And of course, we have a 36-member academic council and a 25-member curatorial board from all around the world. We are listing all these figures who need to be honored on our Heroes Park. We're also going to have a Pan-African Library and Innovation Center to also curate books physically and digitally, of all our academics, all our writers. So you can easily go there, find out what a book uh, written by Langston Hughes, uh, books written by Africans, Chino Achebe, James Ngoge. So we we can educate ourselves that we are one people. Um, We will also have a palace of African kingdoms. We want to curate about 25 of the ancient kingdoms of Africa. Some of the works that Tony Brada is, is doing will be exposed there. We had Runoko Rashidi, who works most of his works to the museum, and we're talking to his family to bring them down when the museum is completed. And we have a number of people that have visited the continent, like James Small, uh, who have so much information where do they keep the information? so we'll keep them all in in these uh, in these spaces that we are creating. then we will have a you know a herbal plant farm we are creating a farm of herbal plants now listen most most Africans do not even know that the first plant that was put in New York to grow to become the mother of modern medicine, came out of West Africa. So we have identified about 10,000 species of herbs or herbal plants. Those that can grow in Ghana, we we are bringing them even from various parts of the continent to put them there. So we will have a herbal plant farm. we label them. We'll let people uh, know what the herbs, herbs are, what they stand for in our heritage, and what they are doing now. Everybody knows around the world that everybody is going to the herbal plant again, you know, which is our heritage. We must be proud of it. We must know it and we must own it. Then also we have a a Pan-African food court where you can have some soul food, Jamaican food, South African food, Jamaican food, (laughs) sorry, you know, um, food from Africa, from North Africa, you can have food from Brazil. I just came out of Brazil and Colombia. They are anxious to be part of this. This is the kind of family we are creating around uh, this museum complex. So it's not the normal museum where you go uh, through galleries, come out, drink a cup of coffee, and then leave. No. There will be so much to see, and we have space for accommodation and chalice, So it's a place that next time you come and we are completed, you can spend the whole weekend or bring a group to just stay for two weeks. That is the kind of vision we have. So uh, when we start construction, uh, which is already started slowly, we want more money to complete it in 2026. All
2: right. You're going to have some jollof rice there as well?
3: Oh, yes, we, but we're not going to uh, debate on who <laughs> right. is the original.
2: <laughs> so how do you see it? Who is the original jollof? And family, if you've, if you've got an, an African restaurant anywhere w- where you are, try this weekend some jollof rice. <laughs> there's, there's a competition, right, Brother Kojo? Yeah, which yeah. African state you makes know, the best I will, one?
3: I will give the credit to a country that is not making noise. It's Senegambia, Senegal and Gambia, I think they have the right to own Jollof because that is where the origin came from. But I'm not disputing the competition going on between Ghana and Nigeria. Um, they can go ahead and compete, but I think that the uh, credit rightly goes to Senegambia or Senegal or Gambia, where the Wolof. You know, Jollof is, is the corruption of the Wolof people who come from that area, so. <laughs>
2: and, and just for the family, uh, 29 away from the topic, yeah, there's a friendly competition between the African states, which one has the best Jollof rice. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> just join us, family. This is the, the founder of the Pan-African Heritage Museum. Is calling us from Ghana. And, this, and we're talking about, well, let's talk about the artifacts. Because we know many of the artifacts that belong to Africa were stolen. So you go into London, right. you'll right. see them. Or come to right. this country, in the United States, right. you'll see them. Is right. there any attempt to get those those some of those artifacts back?
3: Carl, we have uh, chapters in most countries who are making the approaches for voluntary return of some of these artifacts. Now let's be clear. I mean. These countries, in Europe particularly, have made so much money from our artifacts. I mean, I travel around the world, and I pay every time to go and see what belongs to Africa. I, I think that, out of consciousness, all the museums around the world which have anything to offer Africa. They should just donate some of what they have in their museums to the Pan-African uh, Heritage Museum or back to the countries where they belong. Because it does not make sense to me, for example, that Europe or some country has decided to donate to bring back the, some of the gold they looted from Ashanti, you know, sending them back to Ghana on loan so that they can be sent back another time, I. It, that's something else. But I think hey, you that hold that
2: thought right there, Brother that... Kojo, because I want you to explore that. Well, we got to take a short break because I understand they want to loan what is what is yours. They want you, they want you to borrow it instead of giving mm-hmm. it back. Can, mm-hmm. can, can you explain that mm-hmm. when we get back? Because we got to take a quick break. Family, you want to join this conversation, Brother sure. Kojo Yanka? Brother Kojo is calling us from Ghana. He's the founder of the Pan African Heritage Museum. It's 26 minutes away from the top. We'll take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. For in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family. Just waking up, joining us from Ghana, Koja Yanka. Brother Kojo is the founder of the Pan African Heritage Museum. He's a journalist, a communications specialist, an author, a government, former government official. And this is what it's, it's, they're doing now. They set up this heritage museum, they're building it. We need your help to make they put on the finishing touches. If you go to Ghana, you're familiar with Ghana, it's out in the Elmina uh, Cape Coast area. This is where it's going to be because that's where a lot of our folks go to see the dungeons, the slave dungeons. Before we go back to you, let me just remind you coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with chematologist Tony Browder. He's going to talk about the screening of the Dr. Renoka Rashidi documentary. Also, but before we hear from, from Brother Tony, we're gonna uh, talk with Brother Isaiah Muhammad. Uh, he's, it's going to uh, Saving the Black Family Program in Baltimore this weekend. And Siddiqui Kambon will also be here next. He's with the Nubian Leadership Summit. So, uh, oh, and Friday, of course, is to uh, give you another chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and join us for our Open Phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Brother Kojo, you were still, we were talking about these artifacts that were stolen uh, from Africa and now you know you go go to London or you go to Rome you see them in in their museums. they're asking they want to loan it back to you instead of giving it back to you. Explain what's going on here.
3: Yes, <clears throat> there's a running conversation now. The King of Ashanti um, negotiated with the some of the museums in England and some of them have agreed. To return them, but on loan, on loan for uh, three years and probably back to England. Well, uh, we know that the Ashanti King is saying this is still in discussion, so one does not know the final um, decision. But the idea of thinking that our own artifacts will be loaned to us. And I hope it's not just England alone. I know there are other museums in Europe which are saying Africans don't have any place to put them, so why do you take them back? That kind of thinking is uh, something I'm finding difficult to, uh, to accept. But that is going on, and last week a museum... I think in Los Angeles somewhere, uh, or an American who kept some of the gold, the gold artifact that he had, valued at 2 billion US dollars, was presented to the king of Ashanti only last week. Is the beginning of the return of some of the artifacts that were stolen and looted from Africa. Now, this tells you a lot that if these artifacts are in those museums and they have had the chance to pose them, exhibit them for money for all these years, and they still are reluctant to give them back to us, it tells a lot. But again, um, it is the mood. We are not surprised about that because there's that dominance uh, attitude that, hey, we have to dictate whether we want to give them back to you or not. I'll give you an example. Belgium recently returned. The king of Belgium goes back to the Congo and returns the tooth, the tooth of Lumumba, Patrice Lumumba, right? Now, why, you ask yourself, why was the tooth of Lumumba kept in the Belgium museum all these years? So, first, you dismember a leader of a people, you cut his head, cut him into pieces, and you take the tooth. One is not going to even to ask where is the rest of the body. But the point is that it tells of the kind of barbarism that uh, was in, 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 in vogue at that time to take the tooth out of this guy and take it to a museum and hold it until last year, 2023. Now, there are a lot more examples in various parts of the continent. I know some part of Ghana where the head of a king in the Western region was also taken to the Netherlands. And the head, which was part of a dismembered part of a king, was returned only last year and it is now being kept in um, the thirty seven military hospital in Accra, Ghana. We are talking to the family, of course, we do not need it to show uh, how how savage you know people were to cut the heads of people of okay, kings and take them on a plane, take them to Europe but we are interested in the story behind it. So we are following. There are many, many, many more examples. So that looting itself is the whole history that Africans and the world should know. That people just you know, took away the wealth of Africa. So now if Africa is poor, we should understand it also from that angle. It's not the only angle, but it's an important angle to now, study that we were robbed of all our riches, and of course, the robbing hasn't stopped. Our gold, our diamonds, and our are still going away. But, um, for us as the museum, is the knowledge we want to store the knowledge, we want to store the facts of history that all these things happen to us, so that when you discuss discussing Africa or Africans. You have to explain them in context, but it is something that is happening now. The Ashanti one is going on now. We do not know the end of the negotiations, but what we have read is that they are loaning them to Ghana or to the Ashanti Museum. Probably they are arriving in the next two or three weeks, but we hear it's on loan. Uh, of course, many Ghanaians are against it, but of course, the king's um, people are saying, no, don't you worry, this is the first age, you know, we we we, we probably will learn more as time goes on.
2: Well, yeah, from my vantage point, 14 away from the top, had, in addition to returning the artifacts, they should also pay, they should also pay for using, because they made money over all these decades of showing these artifacts oh, in in Europe, so in, in addition to returning them, they should also uh, come with a check as well. Uh, has agree. he reached? Has he reached, uh, Brother Kojir? Co- 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 has he reached the uh, presidential desk yet? Is is the uh, President of Ghana? His, is he involved in this, or is is this still at the local level?
3: Uh, I I believe well, the King of Achanti, who is a member of our Council of Elders. Uh, he's, he himself is not saying much. His um, informants are, you know, putting this out in the public. His anniversary, 25th anniversary is coming in April, and I'm sure he's going to make a statement on that. Uh, the president's desk, I am not certain, but I'm sure. The information is, you know... It's gone, but you know, viral. Well, that I'm sure that he must have had it.
2: So yeah, some of it, uh, because we're 13 away from the topic, I got to ask you about reparations. In addition to returning right. the artifacts, you know, Africa should get reparations. This is my just thought for, for, for the brain drain that was taken for mm-hmm. the moves. of Some of our mm-hmm. ancestors all over the world is is, is mm-hmm. Ghana, or, or are you a part of the reparations debate?
3: hmm mm-hmm. Only about a few weeks ago, there was a conference in Accra. Uh, the Caribbeans were here, and Africans joined together in the discussions. And some committees have been set up uh, to examine the methodology. How do we, the Caribbeans, CARICOM has a formula, and so African Union is also designing a formula so we can
2: work in tandem. Okay. got a call for on. you.
3: The discussions are going on. Mm-hmm.
2: Good. 12 away from the time. Paul is calling from London. He's over in the UK. He's on line one, wants to speak with you. Good morning, Paul.
1: Good morning, Baba Kwesi. It, it's good, uh, fantastic uh, interview. Um, but I want to ask your guest a question. Uh, is he aware uh, of the recent... One of the creators in the British Museum uh, had a network where they were selling off, uh, or stealing and selling off a lot of the, uh, uh
3: stuff which was contained in the British Museum. Is he aware of that? Brother Kojo? No. No, unfortunately, I'm not aware of that. Um, yeah, I, I, I assume, I assume of that. that was the case. I was. I assume
1: that was the case, and you know the interesting thing about that. It, one of the uh, government ministers who was at the time, um, uh, no, I say at the time previously, I think he was a, a chancellor. His name slips me at the moment. He he was in charge of the whole thing, but it was a big. It was a big thing. It, And the reason why I knew you wouldn't know, I kind of assume you wouldn't know, because these people have a way of covering these things up. Although we hear about Mm -hmm. it, they have a very clever way of hiding it from international uh, news. You know, now this is my worry, and it's always worried me about that because I I take an interest in these things. Um, I I take an interest in Mars. I buy Mars and different artefacts. Another thing which has interested me... uh, You you know, in America, they call it a flea market, and I'm I'm explaining it so they understand what I'm talking about. We call it car boots. Now, sometimes I've seen at these places things turn up which I I can't believe. For instance, I saw a door, which was... uh, The brother told me he was selling it. I don't know. He he says it came out of uh, um, uh, some diplomatic office. But when I looked at the door... That should never have been there. The reason why I say that, because I think we have to accept there's a level of a complacency which goes on among us. I agree with everything you say, but I, I do not feel that we as a people value um, what we have what we make, what is ours, as much as we should do, and we don't protect it as much as we should do. So, um, you know, I just think you should look into that, you know, because... And the last thing I want to say... Knowing the people where the place I was born in and understanding the people, is is, is there any? Have you got experts there who can check and measure the authenticity? Because these people are fantastic at deceiving people, copying things and sending them back as the original. This is the point I'm trying to
3: make. Have have you got those sort of things set up?
2: Mm hmm. Mm All right. Thanks, Paul. Mm -hmm. Brother Kojo?
3: Yeah. Paul, thank you very much. I got the message. I think. I agree with you, Um, we are not being aggressive enough. And I also agree with you that most of those who represent our countries in Europe have not gotten the kind of um, courage or maybe the authority to make demands. But I would say that it all goes back to the countries that, uh, and of course, the African Union. That we have to make our stand more aggressive, and uh, and and open our eyes to some of these things that you are talking about. But thank you, Paul. It's great information. Uh, we have a team in the UK. We will let them follow up.
2: Thank right. you. And, and you mentioned the AU. Has, 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 has this been put on the AU's desk yet?
3: Yes, the AU was part of the um, of the reparations. Uh, Conference in Accra a couple of weeks ago, so I'm sure they uh, they must know this.
2: All right, and I got a tweet right. question. A tweet Twitter wanted to know because we're racing the clock here. Uh, tweet Twitter wanted to know why should everyone make it, that trip to Africa at least once? She hasn't been, but she keeps it says she's here. People saying we need to go to Africa, we must go to Africa. So she says, why should it? We make that trip. <laughs>
3: I think that it's kind of a it's a pilgrimage that we should be able to take to Africa just like some other you know people go back to their uh, home of origin once a year it's it's kind of a pilgrimage one to at least for spiritual revival and also to know that yes uh, you have a heritage you have an ancestral place to go to uh, th- this is what we want to make known that We want to provide that opportunity uh, from 2026 to people who want to relate to their heritage, their their ancestry. Uh, We'll have, you know, old people there, like, you know, Cal you went through, who will help people to understand the names of their, sorry, the meaning of their names, and so on and so forth. We want you to learn about ourselves, And we want people to know that, you know, our history did not start from slavery. You know, we we have a proud past. I'm happy that you have uh, Tony Brada coming on. Um, We have so much that we want to show. And in the past 20 years, so much research has been done. But all that research, where is it? You know, they are being shown in corners of the world. We want the world to know that, listen, our people on the continent who have not been educated even about...
2: and Brother I'm Kojo, a, I'll can I'll you hold on there. a second? Can you stay with us a few more minutes? Because I want you to give out the information how folks can help if they want to attend the event and how they can help the Pan-African Heritage Museum. But we got to take a quick break here, six minutes away from the top of the hour. Brother Kojo Yanka is the founder of the African Heritage Museum. He's calling us from Ghana this morning. You want to speak to him? 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in a DMV, run on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WLB. W-O-L, where information is power. Family. And thanks for rolling with us this morning. Our guest is Brother Kojo Yankar. Brother Kojo is the founder of the Pan-African Heritage Museum. Building this museum, and those of you who have been to Ghana, know Elmina and uh, Cape Coast is going to be out in that region. And this will be a must-stop uh, for you as you go, like just like Prom Prom or Kamasi, or you're going out to the Volta region or, or to the Bois Center. This is going to be a must-stop for you. So, uh, Brother Kojo, how can folks help you? Because you're having an event uh, around Ghana's independence. Uh, how can folks who can't make it in say? how can they help you, uh, you know, achieve this dream? So when we come to Africa, we can see our artifacts from not just from Ghana, but from all over the, the, uh, the diaspora.
3: Right. So there are two ways. Uh, one is donating through our website. And then secondly, if you have any artifacts that you want to donate to the museum, uh, again, you have opportunity to say so at, on our website. We have info at pahmuseum.org, and you can send information about anything that you want to do. Uh, if you have some artifacts we want to pick up, as I said, we have some patrons in the U.S., and we have uh, other people of who have great interest. Uh, forming a committee based in uh, based in the you know in the on the East Coast, uh, who will be available on our website uh, to collect uh, any items or any funds that uh, anybody would like to give us. But the best bet is our website. Uh, we also have. People who are connected to some of our embassies, and you can make any inquiries there. But I can say that the best bet is our website, and we are taking a lot of calls on our website, a lot of information, and you can be part of it. And what we're also going to do uh, when we've reached a stage where we have to give away um, naming rights, we will also make them available. At the moment, they are still available on our website. There will be naming rights on our walls, in our rooms, in the galleries, on the roads. You know, we are dealing with the 15-acre space. So there's plenty of room uh, to name uh, after, you know, donors who want their names or the names of their families to be there for all time. So... This is a a worldwide thing, and we appreciate you, Carl Nelson, for giving us the opportunity to send the message out. We'll continue to maintain this relationship and ensure that as many people as possible get the information and be part of what we're doing, because this is a a non-governmental, non-political kind of um, project. It is for us, for people of Africa, people of African descent. And of course, the whole world should learn about Africa. It's ancient. It's modern. And that's why we are here.
2: All right. What time is it there? Were you in Accra or, in, or on the Cape Coast?
3: Right now, I'm, I live in Accra. But the project is between Accra and Cape Coast, in a place called Winneba, Winneba Roundabout. So the construction is now starting on the on a hill. So when one gets to Winneba Roundabout, uh, two kilometers on the way to Cape Coast, there is a, a branch on the right, there's a big sign that goes to the hilltop. It's one kilometer to the hilltop and very soon it will be very, very active. Uh, and people can stop by. We want to finish our Pan-African food courts uh, first, so people can stop by, have a lunch, and see what's going on. But the completion is 2026. All
2: right. Brother Kojo, keep us in the loop. Let us know how it's going. And I thank you for joining us uh, this morning here in, in uh, the U.S. And from you, it's uh, what, late morning there in Ghana, or is it midday yet?
3: Mm, it's midday right now. 12 o'clock.
2: Um, 12 o'clock. All right. Thank you, Brother Koja. Yeah. Thank you for all the information you shared with us this morning.
3: Great. Thank you, Carl. And we will stay in touch.
2: Of course. Yes, sir. All right, family. Six mm-hmm. minutes after the top of the hour. Let's say good morning to Brother Siddiqui Kambon. Brother Siddiqui, welcome back to the program.
5: Glad to be here, Carl.
2: Brother Siddiqui, Brother Siddiqui is from the Nubian Leadership Circle Summit. Brother Siddiqui, you're having another summit. Uh, can you? T- this is what the tenth. Can you explain the- how it all started for us?
4: McDonald's is not new to chicken,
2: so maybe stop
4: questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy, juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken; they're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
5: Uh, yes, sir. Well, uh, what it is, Kyle, is that I've uh, been out here for a while and been involved with various organizations. And so uh, we had the, uh, what is it, Reverend Ben Chavis back in, I think it was 95 on coverage by Minister Farrakhan, uh, the um uh, It was Nails, National African American Leadership Summit, and so that was uh, an attempt to bring together uh, black leadership, you know, share ideas, resources, coming together, what have you. So, uh, in terms of the the final aspects of it, you know, it didn't uh, come to full fruition. But uh, I was like inspired by the potential uh, of, of of Nails and what was going on with that whole process. And so what it is is that uh, I was doing this, a publication called the Nubian Leadership Circle, uh, putting it out there, and I got a, got a pretty decent following. So folks said, well, look, you know, conceptually, Sadiqi, you should be thinking about uh, actually pulling together an organization. So what happened was that we convened a meeting in D.C., at a restaurant in D.C., about well, 30 folks uh, of leadership caliber went over the mission statement that I pulled together line by line and uh, added and subtracted based on, you know, reaching a final agreement as to what the document would be. And so essentially what it is is that we said, okay, uh, we want to do summits and bring folks together. And so prior to the first summit, uh, Mr. Farrakhan and I had a conversation. And so he said, well, you uh, know, well, Brother Siddiqui says, he said, I got a suggestion. He says, from a momentum perspective, he says, uh, would you consider the possibility of doing summits on a quarterly basis versus annual? And so, Kyle, that's why a lot of folks say, well, wait a minute, you've been around for 10 years? And we say, no, that uh, we're getting ready to do a National Black Leadership Summit number 10 after a little over three years. And so, uh, what it is, is that we've made it very clear that the Nubian Leadership Circle is not about just summits. Uh, it's about bringing folks together and doing work in between our summits, and we classify that as, as working shops. Like I said, we have uh, eight cadres, co facilitators for each cadre, and basically, uh, like i said we've got uh, family essence uh economic uh development uh spiritual renewal land and food uh international advocacy uh like i said before you've got uh, eight all together and so what it is is that uh, we're getting ready to convene uh summit 10 zoom uh of course, at the present time, we're contemplating moving to something in the future that would be uh, live. But the uh, theme is uh, black preparations for our reparations. And uh, the closing remarks will be made by our Brother uh, Cam Howard, longtime activist in the reparations world, uh, leader of uh, Reparations United. And uh, as I stated before, uh, it's about the work that goes on uh, in between summits. That's really important. And so uh, what we do is we welcome folks uh, from leadership positions, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a large national organization. It can be uh, a neighborhood association. And also uh, from a youth perspective, which is the key to what we're trying to build here, is that we don't have uh, a youth cadre. And the reason being is that the experience that I've had, and other folks agree, Kyle, that a lot of times we do these conferences. There's a youth component. The youth, they do the presentation. We give them a standing ovation and say they're our future. And then when we move forward, a lot of that, uh, the ideas and implementation of ideas, uh, the youth are not involved. And so anybody who registers, uh, we encourage anybody from 15 on up that's interested and you can go to our website, uh, Nubian Leadership Circle.org. It's all one word, Nubian And uh, it gives you an opportunity to register for um, one of the cadre sessions that's going to be happening uh, at the upcoming summit uh, this coming uh, Saturday, the 17th. And the basic format is, you know, we have the introdu- introductory uh, period. Uh, then we have the breakout sessions for the various cadres to talk about the ongoing work. With a, uh, you know, focus on engagement and recruitment, we're trying to get as many folks involved as possible. Then we have a plenary session where reports are given by the cadre heads. Uh, then the closing remarks, and as I mentioned before, by Brother Kim Howard. And then we close out. And so I'm I'm just really encouraged because it's. It's all-volunteer effort. We've got various folks from across the country, including Haiti, uh, Paris, and uh, London, as we continue to build this whole process. And I'll just say that, as Minister Farrakhan stated, he says, Brother Siddiqui, what, what you and your group are trying to do has never been accomplished before in terms of bringing us all together uh, from this perspective, and it's going to take a lot of uh, time, energy, and patience. And so that's what we're doing, and we're encouraging folks to join us and turn to this very important work, How we appreciate being on your show. All
2: right. Well, hold that thought right there. we got to take a short break. When we come back, though, I want you to take us back to the very, very first summit that you had. If you can explain what happened there and how it grew from that very first one, because this is the 10th summit that's taking place this weekend. Family, you want to join this conversation, your brother Sadiqe Kambon, reach out to us at 800 450 7876, and we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. For in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning family. Twenty minutes after the top there with our guest, Brother Siddiqui Kambon. Brother Siddiqui is the founder of the Nubian Leadership Circle. They're having their summit, the tenth summit. And before we left for the, the short break, I was asking him the question, do you remember the very first one? What was the objective of the very first summit, Brother Siddiqui?
5: Yeah, well essentially Kyle, what it was is that uh we wanted to, you know, put the Nubian leadership circle out there, you know, in terms of our mission and to encourage as many folks as possible. Uh, to join in, in terms of the work. So we don't want to make it seem like uh, we had a group of folks who wanted to embark on this journey, and we would keep folks uh, updated. We said, no, no, uh, we want as many folks, as black, many black people as uh, people, to join in with the work we're doing. So the first summer we had, was like I said, a little over three years ago, and uh, we had uh outstanding uh, turnout Zoom, and uh, the closing remarks by... Were made by uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan, who's uh, you know done uh, two time for us. Uh, then you know we've had uh, former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney in the past, uh, Cornell West, uh, Fred Hampton Jr. You know right on right on down the line with folks who are our supporters and and participants in believing uh, and, uh, and supporting. Uh, The mission of the Nubian Leadership Circle, which is to bring folks together and to, in fact, uh, encourage what we can do for ourselves. That's why we we felt that it was really appropriate to uh, bring on Brother Cam Howard for the closing remarks for this summit because of the fact that we know that uh, there seems to be a certain amount of uh, momentum going on around the reparations issue. And, and 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 some controversy too, and so um, you know he heads up you know reparations United, and we're hoping that the uh, you know and our intention is to play some type of a role uh, as it pertains to supporting the reparations movement, and uh, based on our neutrality as a coalition-building organization, to hopefully uh, be able to bring some folks together that have been working on this issue, in the spirit of Umoja slash uh, unity. So uh, this is number ten coming up, and like I said before, uh, our focal you know the summits are important because that's where folks report. But you know, like for this summit, we're going to be talking about the uh, breakout sessions, not to talk about the vision of the NLC, but the ongoing work that's happening and how folks can participate. And and the other thing too, Carl, is that uh, we try we try to make the, uh, the summits, uh, people-friendly. And when I say people-friendly, uh, we don't, you know, for the folks who go for the breakout sessions, it's not a matter of, you don't need to have a, a degree in nuclear physics to participate. Uh, we, we do things that are simplistic in nature and then some, some things that are a little more uh, difficult in terms of, of achievement. I'll give an example like for family essence, and this has really getting popular. Uh, the co-facilitators in terms of the working shops have been, in fact, advocating for bringing back uh, the weekend family dinners, which I know I grew up with under a tradition when I was a youngster. And so it's really been interesting that it's really taken off, really become popular as it pertains to uh, folks uh, getting back and saying they love the idea and that they're, in fact, doing it. So. That's what we're talking about in terms of uh, in engagement and bringing folks in so they understand the fact that, hey, everybody's welcome to join in as long as you're prepared to do the work that's necessary uh, to do with what we got to do uh, in pursuing uh, our mission.
2: Well, let me jump in and ask you this at so 24 after the top there because you're going to talk about reparations at uh, this meeting this weekend. How are you going to avoid the political? Because you know that there's a talk around that some folks say, that reparations should be on the table. I'm, I know Brother Cam is going to touch on this uh, for the political parties, that if they don't support reparations, we shouldn't support them. And you, you guys are nonpartisan. So how are you going to navigate that, that, that area?
5: Well, the bottom line, I'm glad you brought that up, Kyle, because of the fact that uh, that's a conversation um, that we've had in that uh, we want to make it very, very clear that uh what's happening around you know there's different viewpoints around reparations but also understand the fact that um say for instance that i know i've, I've heard um, brother cam and the whole thing around uh you know if in fact uh, a presidential candidate uh won't advocate uh for the whole uh reparations piece in terms of what we're looking for the commission or what have you that we shouldn't vote for him and so um uh, He and I, you know, we're going to have another discussion because I already brought up the whole point about we don't want this to be uh, about just partisan politics. Like, for instance, from my perspective, uh, I'm not I don't care who the president is. (laughs) You know, in fact, uh, people, you know, tongue-in-cheek, I tell folks, well, hey, you know, I wouldn't mind having Trump in there. And they, they look at me and I say, well, the reason why is because we all know what his position is about black people. He makes it very clear. He doesn't like us. He won't do anything for us. And so we have to look to each other. So uh, it's really important um, that, you know, different aspects of the reparation campaign um, be put out there for folks for consideration. But like I said before, um, the uh, whole piece around the voting aspect is is not going to be the focal point of Cam's uh, presentation you know he'll 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 talk a little somewhat about that but we want to talk about uh the reparations campaign in general and how we can bring the various folks together who are involved in this whole process with the goal being to achieve um the reparations uh goal
2: well let me just ask you this though uh, brother city at 26 after the top there do you get much pushback when you tell people you don't really care if Donald Trump is the next president because at least he tells us we know where he's coming from, we know he doesn't like us and this will force us to get our act together. Do do people say that you're kind of crazy, that kind of logic? Do they push back on that much?
5: Uh, Not not really because generally um, first when I say it, they kind of look at me like what's Sadiqi? Doesn't mind Trump being president Then when I clarify what the position is. So what I, what I what I find is that folks are pretty much in a comfort zone of of agreement and let me let me just say that uh one of one of the primary thrusts of the NLC has come um from the energy of people who agree that the way things are going if we don't do what we've got to do for us like for instance with the land and food uh, cadre uh one of the projects that they have, and they'll be advocating at the summit, is about the whole thing around family gardens. Uh, Do you have a family garden? Do you have neighbors who have family garden? Can you take the lead in terms of uh, having a neighborhood family garden association, that type of situation? Then at the same time, uh, we have a larger goal that we want to try to bring together um, the different uh, farming entities, you know, like uh, with Brother Boyd, the black farmers, and you've got the Nation of Islam, and various groupings out there that have large uh, agricultural entities. were are saying, well, how can we, in fact, bring them together in a mini conference and talk about uh, how uh, ideas and resources can be shared as it pertains to how we serve our people ourselves? So I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, I mentioned in the past that here in Boston, uh, we were fortunate enough to. Uh, take down uh, the quote-unquote Dudley name that was our primary commercial shopping district because back in the 1600s he was a governor and uh, uh, he's the one that led the effort to legalize slavery in Massachusetts so we thought that well, that makes no sense that our primary commercial shopping district in the black community is named after him so uh, after the vote uh, December 2019 we now have N- Nubian Square and Nubian Station we're trying to get Nubian Library but what was interesting is that we had some brothers and sisters who opened up uh some months ago they had a grand opening of the uh Nubian markets and when they were doing the presentation uh they actually brought up a brother who's involved with us in terms of uh some of the vegetables that they'd gotten for their grand opening and he's based in Atlanta and so I said to myself that just reinforces uh what we've been a- attempting to do is that uh these brothers were in contact with the brother in Atlanta and got their first set of fresh vegetables from the brother in Atlanta. So that's the type of thing that we're trying to do. We've got the resources, and when people talk about, yeah, well, we're poor, I say, wait a minute, you know, (laughs) we have a GNP of over a a trillion dollars a year as black people, and we'd be ranked number nine out of 50-some-odd countries in terms of wealth, and we're talking about before, no, we just think poor. But we've got to change that mindset and understand the fact that we've got what we need to do for ourselves.
2: All right, thirty minutes after the top There, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Roxbury, uh, uh, Nubian Square, because I saw in the news where the migrant issue—they're they're trying to play us against the migrants—and they're dropping them in all the black communities, and they want the black people to get upset and start opposing the migrants. And we're not the ones who're putting them there. You know, I keep telling folks if they really want to solve the migrant issue, if they're going to take them. Send, send them to the Dakotas or Wyoming, Montana, all those wide areas. But they sent them in, into the inner cities where our people are. And, and, I, and I understand that some people, some brothers and sisters in Boston are upset because they, 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 they sent them in, into Roxbury. Is, is this, this is going to be one of the issues you talk about at uh, this uh, this summit?
5: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because interestingly enough, uh, when uh, the issue at hand, because first of all, 90% of the, quote-unquote, immigrants, they're in the uh, Melania Cast Recreation Center, and we had programs that were displaced. But what was really disturbing was that the governor, uh, Governor Healy, um, she came in with her administration and not not in terms of consultation, but said, this is what we're going to do. And so that's what really, you know, really upset uh, quite a few folks. So what we did, you know, like I'm the director of the Black Community Information Center in Boston, where I volunteer, we did a press conference. And we said essentially that, uh, you know, because it was a done deal, and we said, you know, uh, our sympathies are with the plight of the uh, immigrants themselves. Like I said, 90% of the folks that they put in that location were Haitian. Uh, But we also said that, uh, you know, we have some issues here in our community, and what it was, Kyle, just recognizing that the governor was, you know, we picked up there's a certain sense of vulnerability based on the way it was handled. And so we said we have other issues here, and that uh, we have a um, uh, what's the name a health des- care desert here in Roxbury that needs to be addressed. And the organization I'm with here in Boston, we've been advocating for some time now to uh, set up a uh, – establish a uh, the Nubian Health Clinic with a pharmaceutical component and so what we did we submitted uh, a piece uh, To the governor and the mayor saying we have wanted to have Nubian Health Clinic one in Nubian Square and then a second one a location where a five, five, uh, Walgreens pharmaceutical component had just closed and so interestingly enough uh what has happened now is that the uh, the governor's office has reached out to us, saying they want to sit down and talk about that because I think they feel a little bit of vulnerability. So, yeah, we don't like the way it was handled, and we express that. But then at the same time, we said, hey, uh, we have some needs here, and we're looking for you to to, uh, to support our addressing that. So it's a uh, interesting phenomenon in terms of what's going on with it, but uh, it's it's. It's one of those situations where, uh, well, I think it's, it's really uh, turning to another situation now because what's being said, Kyle, is that folks are saying, well, wait a minute, what about the suburbs? Some of these wealthy towns, and uh, how come, in fact, uh, folks aren't being sent there? So it's, it's, uh, but I mean, you know, we don't like the way it was handled, but then at the same time, when you, when you see the news clips, Kyle, of primarily black people, uh, at Logan Airport, sleeping on the floor for weeks at a time, you know, it's like, hey, you don't like the way it's handled, but then at the same time, you know, you got you to gotta have some sensitivity, to, particularly when you see the babies laying on the floor at an airport with no place to go. So it's very complicated, but
2: we're trying to work through it. But you you you've, you've figured it out, though. You've, you've, so I've got to congratulate you on that, because some folks haven't figured it out, and they're all upset with these migrants, and, you know, because they're dumping them in our communities, and they're taking away our, our resources. The, hey, if the man wanted to, to take like you said, they would take them to the suburbs, but, you know, basically take them to Wyoming, the Dakotas, uh, all those, uh, all those places out there, it's wide open space. But no, they want to, they, they want to play the migrants against us, and wants us to get upset and and clash with the migrants. That's and right. Knowing that, yeah. But uh, I'm glad that you have figured it out, because some brothers have, and sisters haven't figured that out yet, and they're upset with the migrants because they think the migrants are taking what was theirs. If it was for you, you'd have gotten it. This is, how, this is how the system of racism and white supremacy works. It gets us to do their dirty work. But hold on a second, Brother Siddiqui. We're going to take a short break. We're back in four minutes or 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. Right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with Brother Siddiqui Kambon. Brother Siddiqui is from the National Leadership Circle. They're having their National Black Leadership Summit, Summit X, the 10th one this weekend. We'll tell you more about that in a moment. But I'm just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with Kermatologist uh, Tony Browder. We're going to discuss the Dr. Renoka Rashidi documentary. It's out right now. It's also uh, Brother Tony also explained why ancestral intelligence is the most important AI for people of African descent. But before we hear from Brother Tony, uh, brother Isaiah Muhammad is going to join us. He's going to discuss uh, the, the Black Family program that's going to take place in Baltimore this weekend. And of course, uh, starting Friday tomorrow morning, it's another Friday, to so give you another chance to free your mind on our Open Phone Friday program, again promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, and also on the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Brother, bro, uh, brother Siddiqui. Back to the event that's going to take place this weekend. Give us an, a rundown: how it's going to start. What's the template? What What are you going to do? With, how do you start these meetings and and the breakout sessions?
5: Okay. Well, essentially, Kyle, what it is is that, uh, you know, we open up with a uh, Warriors Rise by uh, by um, the sister, the sister Gregory, the Gregory's daughter, uh, Black National Anthem, Ayana, and, and then we have uh, a young lady uh uh her name is Amanyona Bossman, who's going to do a brief uh, introduction in terms of uh, the NLC and what to expect uh, then I'll you know I'll I'll make a brief statement introductory then uh we'll go into the what we're we'll calling the breakout sessions for the various cadres uh to basically pull folks together and, and and I think it's really important, Kyle, um, for folks to um go to our, our website, uh I mentioned before Nubian Leadership uh dot com. excuse me, org. Newbean leadership it's Nubian Leadership Circle, one word, dot org. And the, the bottom line, to to register to sign up for uh one of the cadres to be a participant. And uh so what it is is that we've moved uh, beyond the whole piece of the vision, it's about the work, and so uh, we encourage folks, you know, not only to uh, to be there for the summit, but to embrace it to the extent that they want to do some work. And so, uh, like for instance, for folks who might come from uh, various locations across the country, we're going to encourage them because we want to have Nubian leadership circle summit satellites, like we have uh, Nubian Leadership Circle Summit Satellite, New England right now involving uh, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Connecticut, uh, working in conjunction with each other, with the intent being that hopefully down the line, like for instance, Connecticut will be able to become independent and have the, their own uh, summit satellite. That you know, That's the type of work we're doing. And with, with the intent being that we want to establish a network of summit satellites, if you will, and, that, and down the line, you know, actually do, you know, like regional conferences. You know, it's, it's it sounds very complex, but it's simplistic in nature in terms of, of what we're trying to do. And so that's why I tell folks to uh, go to Nubian Leadership Circle dot com, register. And we also have a t- uh, national phone number, two zero two nine two two six five two seven. That's two zero two. Nine two two six five two seven for folks who might have questions, and we talk about uh, building this whole process. We're also, in terms of internally, organizationally, uh, for folks who might be interested in, in actually working with New Leadership Circle Central, because our goal is to get an office in DC is that um, we need folks who have expertise as it pertains to the technology. You know, uh, we want folks who. We'll monitor and maintain the website, and uh, we've got a message response team because we get swamped with folks who will make an increase. You know, it's that, it's that type of situation. So what's really um, encouraging is the folks who have committed to doing the work and remain with us, but also uh, we on a regular basis we get calls from, like I got a call from a couple of folks last week, and particularly one brother in Mississippi who's got a certain amount of acres of land and he said he heard about the NLC, and he wanted to talk about how he can uh, work with us in terms of what we're trying to do. So, uh, as I stated before, we're looking at this from a gener- generational perspective, that we're laying the groundwork for this whole piece, but we hope that down the line, you know, like, for instance, my grandson, I hope he'll be working with his grandchildren someday that will continue to build what we're doing right here so that we can become uh, a nation within a nation.
2: Got it. That's sounds like a great idea. Fourteen away from the top of the hour. Now the breakout sessions. What are the topics are going to be discussed at the breakout sessions? And are they running simultaneously? Can we or can we go to different ones, or or how does that work out?
5: I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, like for registration, because um, you know there's actually a greeting letter when folks go to the uh, the website. And so what it is is that for past participants, we ask that they sign up for the same our cadre that they participated in, in the past. For new folks, you know, pick whatever one you want because we want to have that type of continuity. We don't want folks jumping from one cadre to another and try to find out what that cadre is doing versus, say, for instance, if you've been in Land and Food and understand what the mission is of Land and Food, then as a participant, you know what you can do uh, as it pertains to doing the work. Um, so that's why we say to folks, sign up for the... Uh, the same cadre that you've been in, so that the work that's being done, you're familiar with it, and you can participate because you've been with it from the very beginning. And so that I'm glad you know you brought that up because that's really important because we don't want folks coming and saying, oh, yeah, well, I was uh, landing food the last summit. I think I'm going to go to Family Essence this month. We don't want that. We don't want that. We want folks to, to operate within the framework of whatever cadre they have participated in and join the work. You know, we don't want to be a piece about. oh, this is a, the summit was great. I can't wait to the next one. We say, no, the summit is a tool, but it's the work that goes on in between. That's re- that's really key as it pertains to what we're trying
2: to do here. All right. Give us some of the topics of the summits that, that if people could think of right now, they, if, if they want to sign up. What are some of the cadres they can get involved in?
5: and food family essence spiritual renewal uh economic development uh international uh, advocacy uh there's eight eight all together I don't have the list in front of me um, but like I said you know we, there's eight of them and uh it covers a, a variety of areas and we just say the folks go to the website they're listed it'll uh, take you to the uh registration uh, segment as it pertains you know because we have a greeting letter there for folks but also we have a flyer and the link is on either one just click on the link takes you right to registration and you pick out your area of interest in terms of the work that's going on and you're welcome welcome to join in and like I said before it's not one one of these things about where we have a certain amount of folks who, uh, who make a final determination it's like the cadre, ensemble itself, that agrees upon the work it's going to do. And the important thing, Kyle, is that, you know, we got folks from all across the country who are involved, and we want to make them feel like, you know what, uh, we want you when you return home. If, in fact, there's already not something already activated, can you be the person to be the, the spark to get something off the ground? Like I gave the example about the, uh, na- the neighborhood uh gardening associations, things of that nature. There's, there's something that everyone can do out here to do that work because of the fact that we want to be able to control of our own situation, which are not at the present time.
2: Yeah, and you've also grown the the, the conferences to international. Can you talk about that?
5: Uh, yes, sir. So, well, I'll give you an example. Um, like, for instance, we got uh, some folks from Haiti involved. And, of course, you know, we hear all the, the all the horror stories that are happening, and you know, and we know that in many respects, i like have even heard in your show that in terms of there's a lot of manipulation that's going on and and nobody talks about the fact that about the vast oil reserves that have been found off the coast of haiti and 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 of course, being only nine miles off the shores of this country they don't they don't want to have a black thriving nation, so you can, you can believe that there are forces out there that are contributing to the chaos is going on. But then at the same time, there's some positive things that are going on in Haiti that we don't hear about, Kyle, that folks are doing work in terms of uh, working on establishing, uh, you know, water resources, uh, farming and that's going on. A lot a lot of the positive things that are going on in Haiti, you don't hear about any of that. All you see in the news is the... Uh, the quote-unquote gang situation and what happened, like this total... That's not to say that that uh, we don't need, you know, that work need, doesn't need to be done, but then at the same same time, we need to know that there's also some positive things that are going on that hopefully will lead to Haiti being able to turn this situation around and become a, a thriving nation that benefits black people.
2: You know, nine away from the top. But what you just said, just also a reflection of what happens here is we only hear about the negative aspects of what happens with our young, especially with our young people. And if you can talk about that, why are you deciding not to have a special category for the youngsters, but include them with the adults as well? Can you explain that for us?
5: Yes. Well, as I had mentioned uh, earlier, is that, you know, I've been to various con- conferences through the years, and there's always a youth component, and they go go to their uh, to their, their many enclaves. And then, come back to give their report, and, you know, it's, it's energetic, and they're you know they're really enthusiastic, and, you know, we stand up and we cheer for them and say, oh, you know, the usual, but, yeah, they're our future and blah, blah, blah. And then when decisions are made, there's a certain amount of exclusion as it pertains to the youth perspective. So we made a determination from the very beginning that we want to turn that around. And so that's why I mentioned the fact that anybody who's 15 or above Uh, to register and uh, What it is is that Like a 15 year old signs up for land and food They will be involved in the process from the very beginning and have be able to have their input uh, As it pertains to being in isolation and just in just among their peers And so that you know that that has worked very well Um, I've had uh, I should say we've had young people who talked about they felt that there's a certain amount of inclusion that made them feel very comfortable because of the fact that whatever plans were being made that uh, they were included were able to offer their their opinion and position. And, of course, <laughs> we've got a lot of brilliant young, young people out there, so uh, their ideas are embraced uh, by the various cadres as it pertains to our moving forward. And so uh, that's put them in a the comfort zone, and we feel very good about that.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great idea what you're doing, Brother Siddiqui, but stand by. We've got to take a quick break here, and when we come back, I'll let you tell us more about this, the conference this weekend, how folks can get involved, because I think it's virtual, so you, everybody can get involved, and you give out the phone number and, and the email address and the website and all that great stuff. As I mentioned, we've got to step aside take a short break. We'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Where information is power. And good morning, family. Momentarily, we're speaking with Brother Isaiah Muhammad from the Nation of Islam in Baltimore. They're having a big event taking place, so we'll uh, get some information about, from him. But right now, we're with Brother Siddiqui Kambon uh, from the Nubian Leadership Circle, and they're having their 10th summit this, this weekend. So, uh, Brother Siddiqui, give us the details again. What What's the day? What's the starting time? And how can folks get involved?
5: Okay. Appreciate it, Kyle. Um, Nubian Leadership Circle, uh summit ten. Like I said, we've done ten in uh, a little over three years. We've been doing on a quality basis. Uh, it's gonna be Saturday, February seventeenth, Zoom. We encourage folks to uh register in advance and that you have to do that in order to participate. Go to Nubian Leadership Circle or one word, nubianleadershipcircle.com, Leadership Circle dot com and that you know that will take you to the registration process. Uh the theme is Black preparation for our reparations. Uh, We've got Brother Cam Howard uh, from Reparations United who will be doing the closing remarks. But as I stated uh, earlier in the program, uh, it's more than uh, just having the closing comments because of the fact that it's the participation by folks in general that uh, determines whether or not we succeed or not in terms of the work we're doing so uh as I said before uh there's the intro- introductory aspects in terms of uh the theme music warriors rise by uh sister gregory uh, black national anthem uh, uh, then I'll have a sister um Bossman dude uh the welcoming I'll be on for a minute then we'll go into the uh breakout sessions for the cadres to talk about not about the vision. <laughs> This is about the work that has to continue to go on because of the fact that uh, we do the working shops in between summits so that there's nonstop around the work itself. And uh, then uh, after the uh, breakout sessions, we'll come back together for the plenary sessions where the co-facilitators will give a report as it pertains to uh, the results of uh, their breakout session. Then we'll bring on uh brother Cam Howard to do the closing remarks and then uh we'll have uh a small uh entertainment piece happening uh with uh, Sister Mariah with a new song um that she's put out there her and her husband. So uh it's a full package. It begins at ten AM Eastern Standard Time and we expect that uh by two PM Eastern Standard Time we will have completed uh, summit uh, number 10. And uh, we're considering the possibility, call of uh, summit 11 being live in uh, Washington, D.C. We'll see where things go at the present time, but this is where we are.
2: All right. So if folks want to get involved, what do they do, Brother Siddiqui?
5: Uh, well, like I said before, it's imperative that they register in advance because that's the only way you can participate. But we encourage folks, to come with the mindset of not about just getting information and waiting till the next summit. We're saying come there with the mindset that you not only want to get the information, but you want to be part of the work that we're doing. And like I said before, we're not talking about something local in nature. We want something that's going to be national slash international because of the fact that we want to have Nubian Leadership Circle Summit satellites all across the country and beyond. Like I said, we've got a group in Haiti, uh, in London, in Paris, of course, uh, here in this country. So it's a work in progress, but I'm encouraged by the fact that th- there's a lot of positive energy and folks are doing hard work because they believe in our mission. And it's about building a nation within the nation because we understand the fact Kyle, if we don't do it for ourselves, then no one else will.
2: So give us the email address, phone number, or any contact information for folks who are listening want to get more information. Yes.
5: Uh, um, folks can call 202 922 6527. That's 202 922 6527 if you have any questions or comments or what have you, and uh, we'll be glad to hear from you.
2: All right. Thank you, Brother Siddiqui. And thank you for having these uh, quarterly conventions. So, you know, at least we can get together and think about some, uh, try to provide some solutions to our problems. So thank you again for putting this on.
5: Appreciate the time, Carl.
2: All right. That's Brother Siddiqui Kanban calling us from Boston. Let's move on now to uh, Brother Isaiah Muhammad. Salam alaikum, Brother Isaiah. Welcome to the program.
6: Thank you for having having me, sir.
2: Yes, sir. Uh, You're having a program in Baltimore, Saving the Black Family. Can you tell us about that?
6: Yes, sir. We are on February 18th, 2024 at 2 p.m. We are celebrating black history 365 days a year. So we're having the Saving the Black Family Day, honoring our past, securing our present and preparing for our future. With a keynote address by formerly known as Student Minister Carlos Muhammad but now known as Student Imam Abdul Salam Muhammad, student and follower of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan.
2: And where is this going to be?
6: It's going to be at 2801 North Duqueland Street.
2: All right. Is this a precursor? Because I know you've got Savior's Day coming up next week. Is this a precursor to what's going to take place at Savior's Day?
6: Absolutely. Like we said, we're celebrating Black History Month every single day. But, of course, we've been given... February is Black History Month, so we want to use this event as a launching pad before we go to Detroit to hear from the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, but we want to bring everybody together in Baltimore, and we want to let our brothers and sisters know that this is just not exclusively for the nation of Islam. This is for all of our people. This is for church organizations. This is for students. This is for mothers, fathers, children, youth, old, young. This is for all of our people to come out in hopes of saving the black family. So yes, sir, this is before we go to Savior's Day in Detroit. But if you are not traveling to Savior's Day, if you are traveling to Savior's Day, please be present on February eighteenth at twenty eight oh one North Dukland Street. The doors open at one PM the event starts sharp at two PM.
2: Uh, tell us, uh, it's, uh, it's a six minutes at the top there. Why did you select Saving the Black Family? What is it that you see that today's black family is w- w- or where it should be?
6: Well, our student, your man, Brother Abdul Salam Muhammad, he chose Saving the Black Family because we've been taught that strong families is the foundation of a great nation. So unless we as black people can understand and feel that sense of family, unless we can come together as fathers and mothers and children and brothers and sisters and come together if we don't do this it will be a great um, mishap inside of our nation and inside um of our people so we want to start here in Baltimore by bringing all of our people together to understand that we have to honor family we have to honor our mother we have to honor our father we have to honor our children because we see that the roles have been changed. A lot of times the male is taken out of the household. The mother has to step up as the provider. The children aren't getting the proper guidance that they need. So we have to save our Black family today.
2: All right. You know, when the nation does events, people think it's just for people who are members of the nation. But you, you're you opening the doors to everybody. Am I correct in saying that?
6: Yes, sir. That's, that, that's why we put on the fly. It says saving the Black family, honoring our past, securing our present and preparing for our future. Because we have to honor those that came before us. We also have to strive to secure our present and also prepare for the future that we're stepping into. So yes, this is for all of our people. It's not exclusively for members of the Nation of Islam. We have church organizations, like we said, that's coming. We have um, basketball teams and football teams and all of these other organizations that come together to do one thing, strive to bring the black family
2: together eight after the top there family just joined us brother isaiah muhammad is here discussing saving the black families an event taking place in baltimore this weekend and this is you know i've got to ask you this though because the young people What's on the plate for, and I asked this to Brother uh, Sadiq as well, because, you know, our young people, that's our future. As you mentioned, you're talking about saving the black family. You're talking about the future, too. So what's the outreach to get some of our young people? You know, the the brothers and some of the sisters still hanging out on the street corners. How can you pull those people, those young people, into this conference?
6: That's a great question. Um, One thing I've noticed by myself working in the school system, first thing you have to do is earn trust and earn the love of our youth. Because one thing about our youth, no matter which behaviors they display, they're honest in their actions. Meaning if they don't like you, they'll show it. But if they feel secure with you, if they trust you, then they'll open up and they'll accept guidance from you. So first, before we just bring them out to fill the house up, we have to win that trust. We have to gain their love. And then once we do that, then we teach them why they should receive this type of message, why they should take on, on this type of teaching. Because we understand that if we get our youth and we put inside of their heads that which they need, we won't have to guide them. They'll already have the guidance that they need to secure a better future.
2: And I gotta ask you this though, because it seems so many of our, not so many, well some, not all, because the ones that are doing well, we never hear about them. They they never make the news. It's, we got a few who who are going down the wrong path. And they're doing, you know, behaving inappropriately. Let me just put it like that way. Uh, and there's a lot of self hate amongst many of them. But what is it, your approach to these young people? What is it you think that you can say to them that their parents haven't been able to connect with them, that you can talk to them and get them to turn, them, turn themselves around?
6: Now, um, I like how you pointed out that a lot of children that are doing the right thing don't get the recognition because it's a saying that I heard, Brother Carl that the squeaky wheel is the one that gets the oil, meaning the one that's the problem is the one that gets a lot of attention. But the other wheels that are doing just fine, you don't even check on. Same thing as it is with our students and our youth. We a lot of times want to focus on the ones that are doing bad, and we want to give them all the resources and we want to help them out. There's nothing wrong with that, but we can't leave out the ones that are bringing home straight A's, that are behaving in class, that are doing what they're supposed to do. So we have to work on two fronts to strive to save our youth. And when we look at our youth display these behaviors, when they walk through the doors of the school and they're not doing what they're supposed to, these behaviors don't start when they walk in the door. These behaviors start before they even come into the door and start in the household. So we have to bring the black family back together and teach the morals, teach proper behavior, teach everything that our youth need to know. So they can exemplify what they need to exemplify.
2: You know, and I'm glad you said that at 12 after the top, you yeah, because, you know, back in the day, an adult could check a youngster if they're, you know, using mm. profanity on the bus, on the train and doing stuff like just just, you know, just being just acting like children, but being but being disrespectful. Nowadays, though, uh, adults are reluctant to even speak or step to to these young people because they never know what will happen, what, what mm. will be the next step. You say you work with young people. What advice would you give to Elders or just older folks or just adults when they see some of our children behaving, behaving inappropriately, doing things they shouldn't be doing, whether, you know, I've heard reports about their cursing on the bus and then these old ladies, you know, check them and tell them to stop, you know, to show some respect and they jumped, they didn't physically jump on her, but they verbally jumped oh, yeah. on her and told her where to go and call called her out her name and all that kind of stuff that goes on. And these are, these are high school students on the way home. And and she's become sort of reluctant now to even step to these these young people, but you work with them. So is is there any advice that you have for adults who, who, you know, it it happens every day, family, we know that. When you see these young people behaving the way they shouldn't behave, what should we say? So we just walk away, just leave them and let them go, or should we step to them and say, hey, Young man, pull your pants up and and stop using that inappropriate language. I'll let you respond to that when we come back because we're coming up on our break. I'm looking at the clock here. It's 14 after the top of the hour. Brother Isaiah Muhammad is our guest. They're having a big event in Baltimore this weekend, and it's a family event. It's saving the black family, and they want everybody to come. But right now, with this particular moment, we're focusing on our young people because they're our future. Family, you want to join this conversation? Reach out to us, 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And thanks for rolling with us this morning, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour Brother Isaiah Muhammad from the Nation of Islam based in Baltimore. They're having an event this week, this Sunday, actually, Saving the Black Family. Um, and Brother Isaiah, the question I ask you, what do we, because you, share with us the technique that you use when we see our young people, mostly teenagers, behaving inappropriately. Back in the day, yeah. we respected our elders. We wouldn't use profanity in front of a. Uh, you know, elders, whether to be related to us or not, we just wouldn't. And if, and if they checked us, we'd say we'd say, you know, bow heads and say thank you, and uh, I got it. And we, you know, and, and move on. But nowadays, you can't expect that from the, from these some of these young people. So, what what would you use to, to you know to to reach them?
6: Yes, sir, that's a great question, Brother Carl. We we can't deny that our youth do have a lack of respect for authority and our elders, but we also can't deny the fact that most of our youth haven't had the proper guidance that they need to show the respect that's needed to be shown. But the Honorable Minister Lewis Farrakhan has taught us about the power of the mind and understanding the mind. He said the mind is the sum total of knowledge that one gains through the totality of life experience. So the youth, they act a certain way based off of the experiences that they have and what they've been shown. So it's our job to have the guidance, that have the life experience, to teach our youth and allow them to see and experience different things. That's why we're urging everybody to come out this Sunday, to save the Black family at 2801 North Dukland Street, because you'll be around an environment and an atmosphere that you can't deny. You'll be around an environment and Black men and Black women that give the youth that we have today the guidance that we need to regain that respect. But we can't totally put it on our youth. Because if we're the ones that's supposed to be the guidance for the youth, the teachers of the youth, the ones that's supposed to put them in a particular direction, we have to take responsibility to go out and strive to teach our children. But first, we have to be an example, because a lot of times children don't do what you say, they do what you do. So you aren't what you say, but in turn, you're actually what you display.
2: A great answer. 22 after the top there. Mark is joining us. He's on line one. He's in Baltimore. Good morning, Mark. You want me with Brother Isaiah? Hey,
7: good morning, Hey, Good morning, Brother Isaiah. Man, I love hey, brother Mark. I love Carl. I love that young brother, man. Fam, young family, man. I love Captain Andrew and everybody. Carl, they tried to keep the Muslim brothers and Christian brothers apart for so, so long. But the, the uh, pretty great brought us together. We've been together you know, God willing, I will be there. Brother Isaiah and the brothers have Baltimore brothers where they work with our young people. And he's absolutely right. I was addicted. And a lot of our, our men have let our young people down. And they're taking it out on their is and everybody here in Baltimore. But we have Baltimore brothers. We have we our uh, 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 brother. Isaiah will probably expound on that a little bit. But brother Isaiah had a the other day, man, it's serious here in Baltimore. Like Camp, Captain Andrew said, it's a recklessness among the ones that's not doing good um, mm-hmm. that, that that's perpetrating a lot of violence. Um, I I was going out to my car um, the other night. It was a bunch of young people coming down the street, and Brother Isaiah, I'm sixty nine. I'm a warrior. I'm a soldier, I was, and you know that. I came mm-hmm. out and reached in my car to get my phone. And one of the young ladies sat on my on my trunk, you know. So I'm thinking, and this is this is what where we at here in Baltimore, as far as old people. I'm 69, so I'm thinking, Brother Isaiah, what can I say when I come out of my car to not get me killed? Because the young the brother was standing right there waiting for me to say something. So what happened? How God works in my life is the sister that was with them. One of the sisters said. Why are you sitting on his trunk? So I really didn't have to say anything, but they watch me go back in the house and I don't feel safe in my city and I ain't think I'd never say that. I've been on both sides of the law. Mm -hmm. Talk to y'all later.
2: All right, thanks, Mark. Yes. Brother Isaiah, you wanna respond to anything that Mark said? He says he doesn't feel safe in Baltimore.
6: Yeah, for sure, absolutely. First of all, Brother Mark, good to hear from you, brother. You know, I love you and thank you for all the work that you do in the community. Um, But to answer that question or anybody else that would have a question just like that, I've always taught to strive to be proactive instead of reactive. And not just in that uh, specific instance, before they even get to the point where they're being disrespectful or sitting on the hoods or committing these crimes, that's why we have to go inside of the school systems. This is why we have to go into these um, youth-led organizations and into the prisons and anywhere where our youth are to strive to give them a message to raise their moral consciousness so by the time they do get out, they have a better understanding and respect for authority, have a better understanding and respect for the elders. So it has to be a proactive approach before a reactive approach. But in that specific instance, All we can do is, first and foremost, show respect to the youth that we're speaking to. Because a lot of times I've heard youth say over and over, I don't like when somebody talks at me, but I respect it if they speak to me. Because we think that when we yell and scream and use our authoritative um, prowess that we have to speak to the children that they're supposed to listen. This is a new generation we're dealing with, brothers and sisters, and we have to realize that. So we have to develop different means and methods to strive to speak to our youth, because at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, these are our leaders. And based off of what we teach them and what we give them, we'll determine which direction they'll lead our future to. That's why it states on our flyer, Saving the Black Family, where it says honoring our past, securing our present, and preparing for our future. Because the youth have a strong part to play in that future but we strive and let everybody know to bring all of those children that they're having issues with, bring all of those children that they claim are being disrespectful, bring all of those children that are committing these crimes. And I guarantee that our student, Iman, Brother Abdul Salam Muhammad, will have a message for them that will give them guidance, that will give them wisdom, that will penetrate through all of these negative things and speak straight to their soul and give them better experiences inside of their mind. So thank you again, Brother Mark, for that question.
2: All right, 27 uh, from the top of the album. And, and, you know, that next week, uh, uh, Brother Ishmael is going to join us uh, from the Nation of Islam. Is going to give us a, a preview of Savior's Day. But, but Tony Brown is on deck. We'll get to Brother Tony in a moment. But let me ask you this, because uh, the Pan-Africanists feel that if we teach our young people who they are, they, we, they will completely have a character change, if you will, if they knew who they really are, where they're from, their ancestors, that all of this violence and all this disrespect that we see in some of our young people will just go out the window. How do you see that?
6: No, I agree. I agree totally. Because the great Marcus Mosiah Garvey, he famously wrote that a people without knowledge of their past history and origin and culture is like a tree with no roots. So when you teach our young people When you teach all of our people who they are in essence, who they were before we fell, who we were before we had our knowledge, wisdom, understanding, culture, and refinement snatched away from us, when we let our people know who they are in essence, they automatically will start thinking different. And when they start thinking different, they'll start moving different. When they start moving different, they'll start living different because they have a sense of pride of who they are. They have a sense of pride of who their ancestors are and the great lineage of which they come from. But it has to start first, brothers and sisters, in the homes. Because the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan teaches us, he said, there must be rules to teach us how to relate to one another properly. But it has to start in the home. Because there are rules and regulations everywhere we go. But if we teach our children, if we teach our people about the rules and regulations that they must first follow, They shouldn't have any problems submitting to any rules and regulations um, outside of the home. So once again, family, please, this Sunday, February 18th at 2801 North Dukeland, come out and let's save the black family. Come out, brothers and sisters, because we have to have a united effort to strive to save our black family.
2: And the bottom line is, family, if we got to do it ourselves, nobody else is going to do it for us. So uh, I, I agree with what Brother Isaiah is saying. Is it going to be Zoom or do you have to be there in person?
6: No, it's it's in person. It's in person. Doors open at 1 p.m. 2801 North Dukland Street. And also, we'll have a good wholesome meal. So you'll get fed spiritually, mentally, and physically. So please come out, brothers and sisters, 2801 North duclin Doors open at 1 p.m. Program starts at 2, and it is free admission for all of our brothers and sisters that are coming that day.
2: All right. Is there an email address, a phone number, contact for folks who want more information, or the folks are driving the work this morning?
6: Yes, sir. You can call 410-367-9371, or you can go to www.noibmore.com. Again, 410-367-9371. Or www.noibmore.com. And if those brothers and sisters are on social media, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at NOI Baltimore. Again, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at NOI Baltimore. All
2: right. Thank you for the work that you're doing in Baltimore. And again, I just remind folks that um, uh, Brother Ishmael Muhammad, one of Elijah Muhammad's sons, will be here next week to give us a preview of Savior's Day. And uh, so we'll find out more of what's going on with Savior's Day and the remarks that Minister Farrakhan is going to deliver. But I want to thank you, Brother Isaiah, and all the brothers in Baltimore for what they're doing, trying to bring our people together, and, of course, to save our families. So one more time with the contact information.
6: Yes, sir. Again, uh, this Sunday, February 18th, doors open at 1 p.m. Event starts at 2 p.m. at 2801 North Dukeland Street. But you can contact us at 410-367-9371 or go to www.noibmore.com. Again, www.noibmore.com or on social media at NOI Baltimore.
2: All right. Thank you. 28 away from the top there. Thank you, Brother Isaiah. Thank you for sharing that information with us. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Let's say good morning to Tony Browder. Hotel Brother Tony, welcome back to the program. Ooh. Brother Carl,
8: good morning, good morning. How are you and the family?
2: We're excellent, brother. How about yourself?
8: I'm doing good, man. I'm above ground. I, I think I have my sanity, and I uh, have another wonderful opportunity to speak with you and your audience. Couldn't be better.
2: Uh, uh, well, yeah, and let's let's get it started then, because uh, Dr. Renoka Rashida, our dear friend, uh, the documentary is done about him, and now there's going to be some screenings. Fill us in.
8: Well, um, I'm in California now, and we'll be here for the next 10 days. We have a host of screenings of the documentary of Global Assignment, The Life and Times of Dr. Renoka Rashidi. Um, we have one um, this Friday, tomorrow, as a matter of fact, in uh, San Diego at the World Beat Cultural Center. And then we go to L.A., your former stuffing ground, on Monday. And then on Wednesday, there's a very special occasion where uh, one of the local universities, I don't want to say right now because I don't want to uh, steal their thunder, but one of the local universities in L.A. is going to be announcing that they have received the uh, Rinoco Rashidi archives and that there will be a special Um, announcement made, and then a screening of uh, the documentary, followed by a uh, a presentation about the people, uh, the incredible souls who have influenced Renoko Rashidi. And then there'll be a reception. And the beautiful thing about all of these activities, Carl, is that you you and I had the pleasure of knowing Brother Renoko on a very personal level, we had the opportunity of traveling to Africa with them, listening to his brilliance. But there are millions of people I would dare say who've never heard of this great brother uh, who've never had the fortune of uh, of traveling with them or just sitting down and have a- con- having a conversation with them about you know who we are as African people, not just during february black history month but but any time of the day we can have a conversation with this brother about the the wonderful things that African people have done not just on the continent of Africa, not just here in America, in the diaspora, uh but around the world, you know.
2: Right. And hold that thought yeah. right there, brother Tony. We gotta take a short break. Also, when we come back, I'll let you finish telling us about Brother Renoka Rashidi. And also, there's a screening in Washington, D.C., too, this weekend, if you can mention that as well. 26 minutes away from the top of the hour with Tony Browder as our guest. Family, if you want to speak to Brother Tony, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 woLB For in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the Thanks for staying with us all morning long. Our guest is chematologist Tony Browder. Before we go back to Brother Tony, just to remind you, tomorrow's Friday, as you well know, and we're going to give you another chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and reach out to us in our Open Phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. So, uh, Brother Tony, uh, the screening, there's a screening in D.C. as well, because you're out on the West Coast doing doing this, uh, promoting the screening of uh, Brother Renoco.
8: Right, right, right. Thank you for that reminder, Carl. There is a screening this coming Sunday, February the 18th, um, and that screening will be held at Sankofa Video and Books. Anyone in the DMV uh, should automatically Uh, know who Sankofa is or what Sankofa is. Sankofa is the house that Haile Garima built 25 years ago as a result of his incredible film uh, called Sankofa. So um, Haile, for those who don't know, is an Ethiopian filmmaker who recently retired from Howard University's uh, School of Communications where he taught film and uh, wrote directed this incredible film, called Sankofa, that depicted uh put a different twist on on uh, the process of enslavement. And uh Hailey is a uh, incredible filmmaker who along with his wife Shirikiana and a ton of students that he has worked with and, and taught over the years have produced some most some of the most incredible films depicting, you know, our history, our story in a in a wonderful way. And um Hailey is, is in the process now of editing a five-part series uh, called Ethiopian Lion, Roman Wolves. And what it details is the uh, second attempt by uh, Italy to invade Ethiopia. Now, uh, what's, what's significant about this is that um, Ethiopia has the distinction of being the only African nation which has not been colonized. Uh, or or conquered during the process of enslavement. The Italians uh, did invade um, Italy in the 1800s, the late 1800s. There was a famous battle at at Ottawa, uh, this major city, where uh, the Ethiopians defeated the Europeans. And it was an insult that the Italians have had to carry with them all of their lives. You know, the Italians are descendants of Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar. They had conquered the world. Um, and so for for this great European nation to have been defeated by African people was an insult. So Benito Mussolini, in the uh, 20th century, was uh, felt he was obligated as an Italian uh, to— uh, remove the stain of dishonor on uh, the Italian nation, one of the greatest uh, imperialists the world has ever seen. And so he planned to reinvade Ethiopia uh, just prior to the beginning of World War II. Adolf Hitler was already doing his thing. Mussolini was about to hook up with, um, with Hitler and start their march of fascism and, and Nazism white supremacy and racism, uh, and start to move across uh, Europe. But Mussolini wanted to uh, invade Ethiopia and finish what his ancestors uh, hadn't started, had started. started, And uh, and so this particular documentary that Haile is working on is a five-part television program that will show this history and the context of this history, but also show its relationship to helping to start World War II. It's an incredible documentary. We had an opportunity to uh, preview um, a couple of the episodes that Heidi is is, uh, currently editing. And so he's raising funds in order to uh, complete the creation of this documentary. And we offered the uh, Renoco documentary to him as a fundraising means. So that event takes place this Sunday at Sankofa on Georgia Avenue, two blocks north of, of Howard University, at 4 p.m. And um, there's going to be a post-screening Q&A. So uh, two of the people who will be talking about the uh, the film will be two people who are no strangers to uh, uh, the WL community, and that is Brother Paul Coates who was a, a publisher of Renoko Rashidi and Brother Senghor um who is the former president general of the UNIA, and Renoko was their uh, roving uh, ambassador, international ambassador. So they'll be talking about the film. They're both in the film, and it will give um, folk in D.C. who haven't seen the film an opportunity to, to view it with an audience that is – Uh, How can I say it? They're they're very sophisticated when it comes to African history and culture. And because it's part of the uh, Sankofa uh, community, they also have a better understanding and appreciation for films. So it will be uh, an environment of artists, uh, people who are culturally aware, culturally sensitive, and uh they'll see this film about our brother and then participate in a uh, discussion Q And A. And I was just told that um Bob Lott, who's from Philadelphia, who is the director of the film, may also be in town as well and participate in the panel. So this week, <clears throat> this weekend and tomorrow will provide people in the DMV as well as in California an opportunity to uh, celebrate black history by honoring a a recent ancestor and someone who stands shoulder to shoulder with some of our greatest historians. And uh the other point that I want to make is about the title of this documentary. It's its title is Global Assignment, The Life and Times of Dr. Rinoco Rashidi. And global assignment is a, a is a riff on a term that was introduced to our community by our beloved Dr. Francis Chris Wilson, who talked about the potential that exists within every person that every soul that is born on this earth comes here with a cosmic assignment. Our souls come here with uh, the, the ability to to do something magnanimous. The opportunities exist just by our agreeing to come to this earth to be born there's something that we can do better than anybody else and when we realize what our global assignment is then we are able to achieve those great things listening to your former guest carl talk about educating our youth and providing them with the historical and cultural foundation teaching them you know values and traditions that helps them become better young men and better young women who will grow up to be adults who are responsible and add to their community instead of taking away from from their community. Uh, That process of instilling within our young people a sense of being helps them find their cosmic assignment, their global assignment, so that instead of destroying their community or bringing shame to their family, they now understand that they're part of a continuum and that every single one of us has a capacity to do something uh, incredible with their lives and it reminds me of uh, the quote from uh, dr king who said that you know if you're going to be a street sweeper be the best street sweeper that ever lived so that as you're doing your job people will walk down the street and say, there goes you know the best street creeper sweeper, uh, uh, sweeper uh, the best uh, brick mason the best student the best radio show host it's about identifying the greatness that is in us, and then living up to your capacity to do good. And what that does is set an example for, for everyone else. Uh, Carl, I was, prior to coming out here to to California, I'd done an, an interview uh, with a, a local uh, uh, radio station. As a matter of fact, it's uh, Travis Smiley's uh, station. And the sister who was interviewing me, Sister Dominate, was sharing with me that she had gone to San Francisco State and had the benefit of having Dr. Richard King as her instructor, and where she thought she was going to learn about, you know, George Washington Carver and and aspects of African history that we hear typically during Black History Month, she learned from Richard about the, the glory of African people in the Nile Valley and and the scientific and and, and um, philosophical. Uh, accomplishments that African people from the Nile Valley have contributed to the world, and that just being in Richard's class, Dr. King's class, transformed her life. So, you know, those who know Dr. King uh, know that he was one of the founders of the um, annual melanin conferences. He and Dr. Wilson and A. C. Hilliard, Patricia Newton, and others who are scientists of the mind. Psychiatrists and psychologists understood that uh, that there was a special approach that was needed to help transform the consciousness of people of African descent because of what we've been subjected to. And that within us is this capacity to do some incredible things. And I reminded the sister that back in 19, I think it was 1989, uh, we had hosted the second melanin conference at Howard University at Crampton Auditorium and i remember dr king dr richard king <coughs> who uh was a psychiatrist i remember dr king talking about the science of the mind and how the ancient ancient uh, knew the structure of the brain they knew that uh, a person possessed a soul and a spirit and they talked about this in their literature and dr king said that You know, we all carry the DNA of our ancestors and we all know that a scientist, a geneticist can take one strand of your hair or one clip of your fingernail or one piece of your skin. And by studying your DNA, they could fabricate another you. The essence of who we are as, as a person exists within this tiny microscopic piece of yourself and King Dr. King shocked his audience when he said he took this this reality, this scientific reality, a step further, and he said that yes, while geneticists can take one sample of your your, your skin, your your fingernail, or, or your hair, and produce another you, what they aren't telling you, what these scientists and thinkers aren't telling you, is that within that DNA is also the memory of all of your ancestors. Each and every one of us carry the genes of 10,000 times 10,000 ancestors, uh, genes that have been passed on uh, by our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, going back thousands and thousands of generations. And we carry all of these, all of this genetic memory within our bodies. And that when a child is born, that child is uh, a replica of everyone from their family line. But Dr. King took it a step further, and he said that we also carry the memories of those ancestors. And then it was Dr. King's colleague, our dear friend, Dr. Patricia Newton, who took that concept uh, the next step further when she identified, uh, based on research that was done right there in Baltimore, Johns Hopkins, where they identified that Organ within the body, where genetic memories reside, um, she spent her last few years talking about this 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 organ, which is referred to as the red nucleus, and that scientists at john Hopkins um, psychiatrists and, and other uh, scientists of the of the brain, scientists of the mind, have been treating uh, a patient a jew a Jewish patient. Whose grandparents had been victims of the Holocaust, and that as a child he heard these stories, but he started experiencing some of the same memories that his ancestors had experienced, who had uh, suffered and died in the holocaust, and they thought of course that this man was mentally ill until they gave him um, either pet scan or, or 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 cat scan one of these uh, one of these imaging devices where they were able to Uh, see what portion of this man's brain was illuminated as he was having these memories. And they identified this small organ in the body known as the red nucleus. And uh, Dr. Newton described that as like uh, an onion with various layers. And each membrane uh, of, of this red nucleus is an ancestral memory. So, you know, if we...
2: Manifest. And hold that thought right there, Brother Tony. Interesting conversation. I'm glad you mentioned what the work that uh, Patricia Newton was doing, Dr. Newton, because we talked about that earlier this week. I just didn't have all the facts. so I'm glad that you filled it in mm. for us. But we got to take a short break. Six minutes away from the top AR family. You want to join this conversation with Tony Browder. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL or information is power And good morning once again, family. Two many minutes after the top of the hour with Tony Browder. you'd like to speak with Brother Tony, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Uh, Brother Tony's out on the West Coast promoting the Renoko Rashidi screening, I should say Dr. Renoko Rashidi screening. And we're talking about some of the people who influence Dr. Renoko Rashidi. So, Brother Tony, let you finish your thought.
8: Right. Well, just before the break, I was talking about uh, a, a profound discovery that uh our dear sister ancestor sister segment Dr. Patricia Newton brought to us about about the red nucleus about this organ within the brain where ancestral memories reside you know and as I was you know, telling that story and and just reliving uh conversations uh with Dr. Newton as she was talking to some of us over the years. Uh, about this research she was doing, and 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 how excited she was, and, and what that really meant for for us as a people. And one of the things that she shared with us as a as a psychiatrist. She, it, it, yeah, I'm, I'm getting excited now just reliving some of these conversations. And if you can imagine just being in a room having a conversation with with Richard King, um, Francis Welsing, uh Pat Newton. Dr. Ben, Dr. Clark, Asa Hilliard, just sitting down at one table and having a conversation about these things, man. It's it's incredible. It takes me back, uh, you know, three decades. But as I think about these giants, each of them played a major role in helping to shape Black history or or African history, uh, our awareness of African-American history, because the people that I mentioned uh, Dr. Clark specifically was part of this leadership within the uh, African historical community that were instrumental during the um, the Black Consciousness Movement uh, and the Black Studies Movement. Uh, Dr. Jeffries uh, was out here at, um, what is it, San, San Jose, yes, San Jose State. He was responsible for helping to start uh, the Black Studies uh, Department at San uh, uh San, uh, I'm forgetting where I am. San Jose. Uh, San Jose, San Jose State. And I'm going to be speaking this afternoon at um, San Diego State University. And the brother who's the chair of the department is someone who came through the African Studies Department of um, of Dr. Malefri Asante. So there's this network of people who, as younger people, came of, of consciousness, and they then worked within the university, uh, on a scholarly level as historians, some worked in the university as psychologists, some worked as psychiatrists, and each of these individual groups were part of a transformation of consciousness that created the National Association of of, uh, Black Social Workers or the National Association of Black Psychologists or Black Psychiatrists or Black Studies Department, the African Heritage Studies Association, which Dr. Clark uh, helped to uh, to establish with his founding president. So these giants, these elders, were in the forefront of shaping the consciousness of tens of thousands of people all around the world. And, you know, we we remember them not just during Black History Month because they were giants. We remember them because they still live, you know they still live in us, and that their actions through their tireless work and their actions uh, they have demonstrated for us how someone who follows their cosmic assignment their global assignment uh, moves through life and how they're literally able to tap into these ancestral memories that Dr. King told us about and by making those connections, we can begin to see and understand what our ancestors, hundreds of generations before us knew and understand. And this is what captivate so many people about Renoko Ashidi when they see in the documentary, that we do an in-depth examination of someone who literally devoted their lives to traveling to over 130 uh, countries. I think at, at one point in the documentary, Uh, Brother Rashidi says that in one calendar year, he traveled to over 15 or or 20 countries. He said he'll never do that again. But that just shows the obsession he had with uh, completing his global assignment. He traveled the world, uh, going to far-off places, identifying indigenous African people to lands where we would never imagine African people were. Uh, One of the things that I recall Brother Rinoco Rashidi sharing with the community, when I first met him back in 1988, we brought him to to D.C. Vinoco Rashidi, Ivan Van Sertima, and Wayne Chandler came to D.C. over Columbus Day weekend to talk about uh, the African presence and the pre-Columbian African presence in America and the African presence in Asia. And, you know, during his presentation, Brother Rashidi talked about the Dalits. He had traveled to India before and met the Dalits, that class of people who have been classified as untouchables, who are at the bottom of the social, economic, and political system in in, in India. And those are people who, strangely enough, look very much like us. Uh, They're called the untouchables. Uh, They are so low in the caste system that a person – that their shadow can't even touch someone else, right? They have to walk with the broom behind them so that they can sweep away their footprints so no one else has to walk where they have walked. They're the wretched of the earth. And Rinoco had visited this community and and brought one of the leaders in the community to the United States so that he could share uh, his story about how his people people who look like us are being oppressed. And they talked about the history of that oppression. Well, right now, that conversation is on the lips of a number of people as they describe this movie, um, Origins. Uh, Ava DuVernay's latest film, uh, a film remake of the uh, of the wonderful book by Isabella Wilkerson uh, called Cast. And in that film, in the book, they talk about the the Dallas, the untouchables in India. Well, that term is now in the minds and on the lips of, of thousands of people who've seen this film, but Dr. Rashidi introduced these concepts to us uh, over 30 years ago. So that's the beauty of, of, of walking in the footsteps of these giants, these, these elder ancestors who were part of this system that I refer to as the knowledge keepers, people who possess what, is, uh, what appears to be uh, forbidden knowledge information that was banned during the period of enslavement, information that our scholars uh, struggled to to bring to light, to share among our young people so that they can grow up knowing and becoming aware of the potential that they uh, carry within them. And as a result of people thirsting for this information, they helped to change the world by starting these, these national and now international organizations where we as African people studied African people, African history and African culture. And now these same efforts that were lauded three, four decades ago, they're now under attack here in this country. And one of the benefits that come from uh, the history of African people and African people themselves coming under attack is that it helps us to realize how truly precious uh, these gifts are, how truly precious this knowledge is. And sometimes It's only when something is threatened, it's only when something is taken away that you realize how valuable it is. So in this effort to suppress this forbidden knowledge, it affords us to truly understand and appreciate the value of history, the value of, of those scholars who have sacrificed their lives. Put value well, it. let me
2: jump in here and, and talk about those scholars, Brother Tony, because all those scholars that you mentioned, Dr. Ben, Dr. Clark, Van Sermer, Dr. Welsing, uh, and the melanin man we used to call him, Dr. Richard King, all those scholars we used to have on, on the radio on a regular basis, you know, early in the morning back in the day. But now there seems to be a vacuum. Have you identified... Anybody who's, and they're irreplaceable. I want to, don't want to use use irreplace, irreplaceable because to me, they're irreplaceable. But have if, if you identified anybody? Because asked, uh, Malifi, Dr. Malefi Asante is helping us and yourself to find folks who are in the same vein as those that I mentioned who are now ancestors to, to carry on the work, to teach our people what's going on about about us in life, what we, where we should be and what we've missed out on. Have, have, have you found any more people that uh, can, you know, fill that void for us?
8: Well, I mean, there, there are some bright lights out there, uh, and you have many of them on your show. Uh, Carl, you've had uh, Sister uh, Dr. Maat from Morgan State. Uh, you've, you have you uh, have Brother Minua Pim, uh, who, who's getting up there in age as well, but he's still uh, one of the, the, the younger souls. There's a brother in Atlanta, uh, Dr. Chika Kua. Uh, there are hosts of people who who have an appreciation for this information, and who are and have studied the giants, and are walking in the footsteps of those giants. So I'm encouraged by uh, many of the young people that I see on college campuses and in some high schools. Man, I'm I'm seeing <laughs> I'm seeing uh, some some young sisters and brothers whose parents had grown up uh, or grandparents had grown up. Uh, listening to to Dr. Ben and and, and Dr. Welsing and some of the others. And as a consequence, their children were introduced uh, to these great scholars, and their children now have children who are introduced to those scholars. So I'm beginning to see the benefits of, of this information being passed down from mouth to ear for generation after generation. And that's the reason why, these governors and, and, and other uh, institutions and organizations are trying to suppress this information. They know it's power, man. Uh, and, and part of what they they desire to do is to make America great again by reinforcing uh, what I refer to as constitutional Negroes. You know, if uh, a constitutional Negro is a type of black man that the U.S. Constitution created when they introduced the three-fifths compromise. Uh, Back during the establishment of this country when our African people were enslaved, uh, European industrialists uh, were trying to figure out how they could make this nation great at the expense of indigenous people and African people. And they came up with uh, James Madison, who's considered to to be the architect of the U.S. Constitution, wrote the three-fifths clause in which they said that African people in the census, which was to be conducted every ten years, would be counted in the general population as three-fifths of a human being. Only African uh, enslaved African American males would be counted in the census, and that then gave the South a unfair advantage in electing uh, representatives, in the House of Representatives, in Congress. And so if we look at what's happening right now, to to reflect on Dr. Clark's statement that all history is a current event, uh, the creation of the Constitution of Negroes deprived deprived us of our our rights and abilities as as human beings um, in the making of this country, but yet it gave power to the South. And it's the South who still holds on to that power today. If you look at a lot of the madness that's currently uh, on display, the shameful madness that's currently on display by lawmakers um, in the House of Representatives, much of the madness comes from the Republican Party. Much of the madness comes from Southern Republicans uh, who— appear to have lost their minds if they ever had one in the first place. And we're moving right. the country Brother
2: Tony, hold hold that thought right there. I'll let you d- d- dive into that when we get back. It's 15 at the top there. are running late. We've got to take a short break. Also got thumbs up for some brothers that are listening to us in Ghana. So they've been listening to when Kojo was on. So they're still listening. So I just want you to know. Anyway, we'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So long, live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new
2: and everything in between. So after the top of the i am actually rolling with us all morning live. It's been another interesting morning. I guess right now is brother Tony Brower is out on the West Coast, they're promoting the, the, the Renoko Rashidi screening. The Renoko Rashidi's um, uh, movie out in California and also it's going to be shown at uh, Sankofa. And if you're going to the C- one in DC on Sankofa, brother Tony, I think they should uh, you know get their uh, get their tickets early cuz it's not that big of a place. Yeah
8: meeting is limited at Sankofa, Georgia Avenue, uh, two blocks north of Howard University. Uh, if folks are interested in getting details uh, about the program and purchasing tickets, they can go to sankofa.com and purchase their tickets and support a, a business that has been in has been a cornerstone of the DC community man for for uh, almost four decades now. Uh, it, it's it's the only black bookstore. Uh, on Georgia Avenue that's left. At one point, we had at least four bookstores within a three-block radius. Now there's only one. So many of our businesses are disappearing, which means that opportunities for for young folk, our students to learn their history, man, are disappearing as well. One short story, and then I guess we can go and, and take some calls. But uh, Chad Bozeman, who's a student at Howard University, uh, who uh, for whom the Fine Arts Building uh, is now named after. I was a graduate of Howard's uh, School of Fine Arts back in in, in the 70s. Well, Chad Bozeman, as an undergrad student from South Carolina, uh, worked at one of the black bookstores on Georgia Avenue. And while he was there working at the bookstore, making some extra money to you know pay his bills and to to you know get through school, he was reading the books by these scholars that I was just talking about. He was learning about our great history and culture. And as a consequence, um when he when an opportunity came for for, for Chad after he graduated <coughs> to uh star in this film called he received the script for this film called The Gods of Egypt, in which uh, this big Hollywood production where all white actors are playing uh, comedic personalities, Asar, Set, Heru, you know, the full nine yards. And Brother Chad read the script, and he said that the only reason why he took that film was because he knew comedic history. He knew that all of these white characters playing African personalities, mythological personalities, was historically inaccurate, but he was offered the role to play Jehudi or Toth, as he was known by the Greeks. And he said he took that role so that there could be an authentic African presence in that film. And uh, one of the reasons why this young brother had this consciousness was because he was he was immersed in a community where people had uh, an appreciation for African history and culture. So he possessed that consciousness. And I also found recently, Carl, that um, as a young uh, actor and director, now Chad's real desire was to uh, direct plays and uh, films, but he found he could make more money by acting, which will allow him to pursue his cosmic assignment, which was directing. And so he di- he wrote and directed a play that was produced in uh, I think Pittsburgh. It was a play called Isis and Osiris, where he took this this um, Osirian drama and wrote an incredible play about you know the essence of one of the foundational myths of of African history and culture, of Nile Valley history and culture. And so he knew our history as a result of working at that black bookstore. And then, given an opportunity to star in a film that would portray our historical personalities in an unfavorable light, he decided to take that job so that he could get his foot in the door and do some other things. And that is one of the things that ultimately led to him playing T'Challa in Black Panther. So you never know what influence one of our scholars is having on a young scholar and whose influence can transform the world. So, you know, we're we're here following in the footsteps of, of, of giants, and for those who understand and appreciate what they sacrifice in their lives, it gives us an opportunity to become giants as well so that people can follow in our footsteps. And that's, that's the process, Carl. That's how this thing goes.
2: Right, I got a tweet question for you. Ed. I'm just reading verbatim, uh, Brother Tony, because we want to talk about ancestral intelligence as well. I think that's where we, we want to talk about AI. But it says, uh, Brother Browder, many people didn't know how brilliant Renoco was. I first learned about him when he would be a guest on in L.A. on the front page. Can you explain why this historical documentary is so important that the public must see it?
8: Well, um, <clears throat> what's, what's interesting is that the caller said that he discovered Renoco listening to uh, you on the radio, call when you were out in California front page, right? There's so many folk who never heard those interviews. There are people, Carl, believe it or not, who don't listen to WL, who don't hear any of the marvelous guests that you have on. And as a consequence, um, this information only lands on the ears of a very small segment of our population. And when someone dies, someone becomes an ancestor, such as Winoko or Dr. Wilson. Their voices never heard on the radio again. But uh, people can, you know, see their videos on, on YouTube, and they're discovering them, right? And 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 so discovering this lost knowledge, this forbidden knowledge. Spark something in the consciousness of, of students right now who are sitting in the classroom and are hearing lies that have been repeated for decades about how Christopher Columbus discovered America or how how great the founding fathers were and how they built this incredible institution. They don't know the other side of the story. Um, they don't know, you know, the, the, the part that is being hidden because of all the shame associated with that. So to be able to discover these people, to know that they lived, to know that they they were just like you, that they had been miseducated. But once they discovered that there was a truth out here that had been hidden from them, they began to seek out more of that truth. And they made incredible sacrifices so that they could pass these truths down to others. This is part of, uh, as Dr. Clark used to say, this is part of a brotherhood or or a sisterhood, if you will, where some people are compelled uh, to do to do the research and to share this information with the knowledge that as people hear these truths, some will wake up, some will uh, begin to conduct their, their lives differently, and just by turning on the light, they've been make it possible for others to see that there's a path to follow that can dramatically improve not just the quality of your life, but the quality of your children's lives and your grandchildren's lives. You know, when I think in terms of how my life was changed, uh, 47 years ago, next week, when I met Ajahn Ben-Serdima for the first time and heard him talk about the Africans who had been to America before Columbus and then tell us that those Africans were from Egypt and the Egyptians were black. When I heard somebody tell me for the first time in my life that the ancient Egyptians were black, it it literally uh, undid all of the miseducation that I had been exposed to all of my life where I'd seen images after images of, of white Egyptians. I didn't know that I didn't understand that Egypt was in Africa and that Egypt was part of Nile Valley civilization. So hearing this man say these words caused a shift in my mind and I began to look at the world differently. And as a result, I discovered books. I discovered scholars. I discovered information that put me on this path. And there's so many other people who can have that, that same journey, who are waiting for opportunities to have those same experiences. And I know from my own personal experiences, Carl, that the more our people, young and old, are introduced to this information, the more that their minds and their consciousness also shifts, and they begin to see the world differently. They see themselves differently, and as a consequence, they think and act differently. And that's what our oppressors are working tirelessly to suppress. They know that if people are introduced to a more positive perception of their ancestors, of their history, of their culture, then they will strive to do better. And unfortunately, there's too many businesses in this country who make their their fortunes uh, arresting people who have been miseducated, who don't know their, their potential, or keeping people at the bottom of the social, political, and economic ladder. So that they can continue to be exploited. Uh, you know, we we are literally, in a very simple sense, Carl, you know, fighting for the souls of the unborn. And as more people see, see this fight, this struggle on this level, the more they'll begin to understand that you can't just sit sit back and complain about what's going on around you. You've got to commit yourself to stepping forward. And be an active participant in helping to transform your consciousness, and then helping to transform the consciousness of your community.
2: All right, hold that thought right there. We're coming up on a break, but Albert's got a question for Al- Albert's in Washington D.C. Albert, your question for Brother Tony Browder.
6: Yes. Good morning, Carl. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Tony had mentioned
8: uh, Dr. Patricia Newton and her work, and he had mentioned an organ, an organ within the brain. Where ancestral memory
6: resides. Just like to find out more about that. Can you uh, uh, tell me the, the name of that organ and spell it out?
2: All sure. right. I'll tell you what, Brother sure. Tony, hold that thought right there because we're going to take a short break. Thank you, Albert. Thanks for the question. We're to take our last break 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. I guess this is Tony Browder. He's out on the West Coast promoting Dr. Renoko Rashidi's documentary. He'll be with us when we get back. If you got a question, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. And we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, For information. His power. And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Tony Braddard. As I mentioned, brother Tony's out on the West Coast promoting the documentary about Dr. Renoko Rashidi, the screening going To be in, uh, I think it's in San Diego right now, then goes to LA and San Francisco. And so there's also a screen here in Washington, D.C. at Sankofa. But before we let, before let me do this, just one your mind you, tomorrow is Friday and we we'll give you another chance to free your mind, think for yourself. That's what we mean when you say free your mind. And join us for our Open Phone Friday program. We're going promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, uh, Brother Tony, Albert's question, he wants to know the name or the organ in the brain ancestral memory that uh, Dr. Patricia Newton talked about.
8: Right, it's a simple name. It's called the red nucleus, R-E-D nucleus. It's a small organ within the brain that is, she described it as being uh, like a an onion that has um, a membrane, layers of membranes stacked on top of each other And that each membrane represents a different consciousness, uh, a different ancestral memory. And one of the things that she shared with me as a psychiatrist now, uh, she talked about the fact that people of African ancestry have the highest incidence, specifically African Americans, have the highest incidence in this country of schizophrenia. And, And I posed the question to her, could it be that... The people that we see, the sisters and brothers that we see sometimes on the street who are homeless, walking down the street, talking to them, talking to themselves. uh, Could it be that that schizophrenia, what scientists have have diagnosed as schizophrenia, is actually one of those ancestral memories that is off track, that is expressing itself through that being? She says that that is part of 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 what a certain group of psychiatrists uh, believe that they are possessed by by different spirits or entities, if you will. We all remember um, that movie, what was it, The Three Faces of Eve, a, a movie that came out in the 60s uh, where uh, a patient had multiple personality disorder, and that's where this concept was first introduced into the psychiatric field. But, um, yeah, the red nucleus, that's, that's a short response to the answer. And you can probably find some videos on YouTube with Dr. Newton discussing the red nucleus.
2: Right, and she was okay. also uh, brother. Much, all right, thanks, Albert. I didn't know you were still there. Thank you, uh, and brother Tony. Uh, she was also working on, on uh, descendants of the Eastern Shore of Maryland because she said there was a lot of inbreeding there. They treated us like ca- uh, cattle.
8: Yeah, man, that was you know, you're taking me back, Carl. We we had some really powerful conversations. Uh, Doctor Newton was a psychiatrist who had a practice in Baltimore. And uh, she said that the majority of her patients were females uh, who were either former or recovering uh, alcoholics and drug addicts, uh, a lot of heroin users and and crack users. And she says that as she was going through her case files, she noticed that a large number of her female patients had either uh, been arrested or done time for murder, attempted murder or assault against a male member of their family, uh, a father, a brother, a husband, a cousin, an uncle, someone who had uh, committed incest against them, their children, or their siblings, or someone within their family. And as she began doing the research, she found that there were certain pockets in the Baltimore community where the incest rate for uh, women was 9 out of 10 women as young girls had been raped, And for males, that instance was 7 out of 10. And she began doing the research, and what she uncovered is that many of the people who lived in these these areas migrated there from the eastern shore of Maryland. And it was the eastern shore of Maryland after 1808, when the importation of enslaved Africans was, was banned, uh, white industrialists and business people c- created the business of manufacturing black folks by having an African uh, American male mate an African American female, and it didn't matter if that woman was his mother, his his sister, his aunt, his cousin, or his own child. The the goal was to produce bodies, and as a result of um, you know two generations, almost three generations of this. Uh, of this uh, incest, it became a part of people's social order, social consciousness, and they brought these behaviors with them when they migrated to to to, to Baltimore and other parts of the country, and other parts of the world. So she brought a different level of of uh, interpreting psychological and emotional problems that many of our people are confronted with uh, are linked to. Uh, things that happened to their ancestors, generations ago that they still carry with them. So it, it brings a whole new approach to analyzing uh, the problems that confront us and helping us come up with solutions. If I recall it was Dr. Francis Chris Wilson who helped, um, uh, who in a conversation with Dr. Newton uh, was uh, helped convince her to go into psychiatry because initially Dr. Newton wanted to be a brain surgeon. And after a conversation with Dr. Welsing, uh, Sister Francis told her, oh, no, my dear, you're a thinker, not a cutter, and had her shift her, her fields. But it was Dr. Wilson who would prescribe for her patients, uh, many of whom were, 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 were criminals or had mental disorders, she prescribed for them that they watched. Uh, but the list of Middleton's television program called For the People, where he showcased all of these great scholars, all of these great giants and ancestors. And just by watching scholars, watching historians and, and scientists talk about their profession, talk about our, our, the greatness of African people, improve the mental health of her patients. So I'm not talking about something that is a wishful thinking. We're talking about... Um, Things that have been documented, uh, things that uh, many people find unnecessary or things to be uh, ashamed, ashamed of have been proven to transform the consciousness and improve the mental health of people. So, you know, I'm proud to be able to, to showcase this film that we executive produced, uh, Global Assignment, The Life and Times of Dr. Vinok Rashidi. And there'll be you know hundreds of people who see it uh, over the course of uh, the next couple right. of weeks. I mean, right. Before, before we
2: do that, though, before we leave Dr. Newton, because this is important, because you mentioned she was discovering schizophrenia. Was that caused by the inbreeding? Do you think that was the link that she was trying to make right there?
4: McDonald's is not new to chicken.
8: Look at it this way. Uh, I, I can't say I'm not a, I'm not a scientist, so I can't say with any certainty. But what I can tell you that people who are subjected to intense pain, uh horror, violence, unspeakable violence, they sometimes uh, it will internalize that violence, and they go into a, a state of shock and they shut down. But these memories are still circulating in their mind, which means that they're producing chemicals which are causing these memories to circulate in their bodies. So there is a, a cause and effect relationship. We, we do know that. And there's a – gosh, 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 it's early in the morning here, so my brain is not functioning. But there's a term that they've used to describe people whose genetic makeup is, is, is changed as a result of, of being introduced to uh, violence. And having a disruption to their system, it changes their their, their DNA in one in, in in one generation, where it was believed that it took multiple generations. So, if you can imagine, um, people who have been subjected to horrors for thirteen, fourteen generations, and 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 all the. Uh, uh, emotional distress that they're carrying in their bodies, that they're carrying in their genes, which they have inherited from, from their family, family lineage. So knowing this information can help you better treat someone who is suffering from e- e- emotional problems. And as Dr. Newton often said, the Africans who got off those slave ships in North America and the Caribbean South America were profoundly different than the Africans who were boarded on those slave ships after they left the uh, the slave dungeons on the coast of West Africa. So something happened to us.
2: Yeah. That explains a lot. You know, uh, hopefully. Is there anybody picking up her, her work that she left? Uh, Brother Tony, do you know?
8: I, I don't know. I know uh, a good colleague of hers is uh, Hunter Adams, who is a, um, uh, a thinker and has interest in neuroscience. Uh, he's working on completing some of the work that Dr. Newton has done and he would have a better idea about, uh, you know, giants or, or people who are studying yeah. this field. I, I don't know. I've kind of been out of the loop in that, in that regard.
2: Yeah. Cause you know, it, it takes a, a a person like a Dr. Newton to do that kind of study. You know, folks ain't going to do that kind of study. Cause if you look at people and some of the problems, some of the issues that we have, it, some of it caused of what she's trying to prove a point of that inbreeding in the Eastern Shore, especially for some of our folks who are still in Baltimore. So I'm just glad you shared mm-hmm. that with us. But let me ask you this, though, because we're racing the clock. Ancestral intelligence, you say, is the most important AI for people of African descent. Why?
8: Sure. Well, to the point that I've been making about the fact that we carry the memories of our ancestors within our very DNA. So that means that we have the opportunity that we are carrying with us um, within our genes the genius of those ancestors. So one of the reasons why so many of us spend our times talking about African history, uh, particularly Nile Valley history, is that that genius is in our is in our DNA. That genius is in our memory, and that these ancestors. Uh, we carry in our bodies, and so by thinking of them, by talking of them, uh, we make their memories alive, and we have the capacity to tap into that that ancestral intelligence and access the knowledge that they knew. Uh, that's why you speak the names of ancestors. That's why you pour libations, because it's a means by which you can access that profound field of intelligence that allows us to do some some incredible things. This is a part of our reality, Carl. And, and, and as I have uh, come to terms with this this reality, I want to spend more of my time talking about it. And one of the things that really helped to ingrain this awareness within my consciousness is the 14 years that we spent uh, excavating tombs in Egypt and seeing that everything there that we've uncovered reinforces this idea of ancestral acknowledgement, which is coded in ways that one could access the intelligence of your ancestors and allow yourselves to be the vessels to which this intelligence will express itself, man. And that's the reason why we, uh, well, we have survived it as a people. That's the reason why we still have access to knowledge that has transformed our consciousness and has transformed the world. And it's something that we need to embrace and not be afraid of. African ancestral intelligence is the key to our survival. And what we witness time and time again, when we deal with European uh, artificial intelligence, uh, they create monsters, they create Frankensteins, they create products uh, that wind up doing us more harm than good Uh, products and behaviors that wind up uh, resulting in the destruction of our environment of the, of the water and the air. So, I feel if the world is going to be saved, it's going to be saved by people who understand the value of ancestral intelligence, and are willing to embrace the best within them, bring that best out of them on a regular basis, and then they will become a light to the world. And that's how, that's the only way I see us um, making our way out of this mess, Carl, because it's going to take new thinking, it's going to take people with, uh, who are courageous enough to, to follow their convictions, and, and, and be a model for those who are looking to make this world a better place.
2: All right. Brother Tony, yeah, I, it's a, a, it's, the yeah, Sister Sandra Robinson called in and asked Kevin to ask you, how's Alexis and the grandbaby
8: doing? Well, Alexis is doing well. Uh, my grandson is now, I think, 34 days old. And I tell you, Carl, being a grandfather is one of the greatest joys of my life. It has helped me to to understand why grandparents are called grandparents. Anyone who's raised a child knows how difficult it was. And as we reflect back on our childhood years, we say to ourselves, oh, I could have done this better, or "Or I'll do this the next time. Well, having a grandchild allows a grandparent an opportunity to literally become a grandparent. So I'm looking forward to you know, pouring my knowledge into him and helping him uh, grow as a person. And I also have to take my hats off to, to sisters, man, to mothers. Raising a child, raising a newborn, is a very difficult task. And uh, it, it takes a community of loving people, uh, loving sisters, to, to help a woman who is, is who, who gets no sleep. <laughs> you know, I, I remember, what, um, three weeks ago now, almost, uh, as I was bringing Atlantis home from the hospital, we were listening to uh, Dr. A on your radio show. And and Atlantis had a conversation with her afterwards, and she told Atlantis, uh, sister, when you get home, you need to sleep like a bear. You need to hibernate and get your rest because once that child comes home, there is no rest. And I'm watching my daughter, you know, she has to breastfeed every three hours. She has to pump the milk, you know, every two hours. And, you know, you don't get any sleep. Uh, for for days on end, for weeks on end, and you're exhausted. But this child, this new life, man, just brings something out of you, and you forget how tired you are. You know, it's hard work, but it's the best work any person could ever do to nurture the development of a new soul, a returning ancestor. And so there's sacrifices that must be made, and that's off to the sisters, and the brothers in their lives, the husbands, the partners, uh, the mates, the fathers, the cousins, uh, the relatives who step up and help to nurture these new lives, And This is the consciousness that we need to nurture as we prepare a new generation to do better than than what we've done. And the work that I do, the work that, you know, Winoko did, uh, and all of the scholars that we've been talking about, their work is not in vain, man. We have to... Uh, lift up their memories. We have to pour their memories into the souls of of these young people who are now walking the earth looking for a a path to better themselves and and teach them that they are the vessels through which their ancestors live, breathe, speak, and do their best work, and that they're not out here doing this work by themselves. Uh, We carry with us greatness. So uh, I'm always appreciative of the opportunity to share my message with you and your, your listeners, Carl. So Thank you very much from the West Coast of the United States of America.
2: All right, oh, to Brother students. Tony. We'll see you soon when you get back. Uh, safe travels out there on the West Coast. Family, we're done for the day. Stay strong, stay positive, please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.
7: 1450 WOL.